Shalom, shalom, Shabbat shalom. Welcome everyone. Welcome, welcome world changers. Today we're going to be doing what we usually do on Saturday Shabbat. We are going to be uh, fellowshipping, talking about various things, uh, sharing, you know, talking one uh, heart to heart to each other. Now, if there's any of you who have any questions or anything you want to bring to my attention, just put that in the live chat. Uh, make sure that you uh, invite your friends or family members that may be open to this kind of thing to listen. You don't have to participate. They can just listen. I'm going to start out by just sharing a little bit about what's on my heart. And uh, we'll take it from there. I am vexed over the state of the church. I've been thinking about, and I think about this quite a bit actually, but you know, just to share heart to heart with you guys. Back about 30 years ago, I was invited to go preach, share, tell my testimony, if you will, to a whole bunch of guys in a sporting event. It was a sporting event at a public school. And so I went there. And one of the first things I said, what do you think of when I say God? Everybody responded pretty much unanimously. They all said, church. And I'll never forget that because that taught me people equate the church with God and God with the church, okay? And that's a very dangerous situation to be in. <clears throat> Excuse me, that's a very dangerous situation to be in because the church, by and large, is very corrupt. They have fallen from the place where they should be. They have fallen from the Book of Acts kind of church in many ways. Uh, if you want to talk about that, we'll... We'll talk about that, but uh, um, the church today is a pathetic social group. It's a pathetic social group. It's what it is. Uh, a, a pathetic social group uh, drizzled with a little bit of God, uh, talk about God anyway, a little bit of scripture here and there, and uh, it is just, it is just very pathetic. So... Um, the th this is the problem. It's very misleading because people go to church, okay, and they listen to the sermon, they shake a few hands, they talk to a few people, they have this wonderful connection of, you know, this feeling of community and connection and so on and so forth. But what they don't realize is that's not God. That is not God. They listen to the sermon. What they don't realize is for the most part, it's not scriptural. It's more like a self-help sermon that is that again, they just they just take a self-help message like Tony Robbins message and just drizzle a little bit of scripture in it just to make it look good and make it churchy. What they don't realize is that's not God. And then they leave the church, and if you're part of a you know traditional kind of old school kind of church. You know, they would shake the pastor's hand on the way out the door and they would say, good sermon, nice sermon, pastor, you know, yada, 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 bless you, on out, on out the door. And they feel so good. They feel so good. And what they don't realize is they didn't meet God. What they've experienced wasn't God. What they've experienced wasn't even the will of God. 
what they've what they've experienced is just the warm and fuzzies that comes from a community social club and listening to a positive message from a hypocrite. Yes, a hypocrite. You'd be surprised what a lot of these pastors are involved in, in their closets. So they leave the church feeling so good, like I'm, I'm good with God. Like, hey, you know, nobody, I mean, it was a pleasant experience. I came to church. Nobody said anything to me. The pastor didn't say anything against what I'm doing. I mean, the pastor actually blessed everything, blessed me in everything that I'm doing. And, and I've, I'm just, I got a clean bill of spiritual health. It's like you hear many stories of people who go to the doctor, they get a clean bill of health, health, and within hours they drop dead. It's a false sense of security. The church today, by and large, 99.99% of them gives you a false sense of security. But people don't realize that because they are blinded by the church. Blinded by the church. Actually, you know what? That would make a good... Uh, <laughs> that would make it, I'm going to write that down. That would make a good uh, article or book. Blinded by the church. That is the problem I believe we are facing in the world today. So many people thinking that they're okay, thinking that they're right with God, thinking that they're doing the right thing. In fact, it's more than thinking in their minds. They actually believe it. They are very well-meaning people. They are very, quote-unquote, good people, if you will. Um, however, they have been duped. They have been misled into believing that everything is good with God when it's not. Because of a corrupted, dead church. And I don't care if your church, if your church is a very staunch Baptist church that, you know, nobody, you know, lifts their hands or dances or, you know, there's no contemporary music. It's all, it's all the uh, old fashioned organ. Or if you have, you know, a band that's playing and you got the lights and the all the special effects and the visual effects and you have and it's it's modern music and everybody's dancing around. It still can be a dead church. How? Because it's dead in sin. Many people I have heard so many different testimonies of people who have. Claim that they have clinically died and have went to a place that they call hell. And you, you'd be surprised how many people say that they see people there that identify as pastors. And it reminds me of a, a pastor that I know of in California. His name is Pastor John. And he used to preach at, uh, well, he, he had churches. He was a pastor. He... Um, he taught at Bible school, okay? And then God gave him an experience of hell, an experience in hell, where he saw people that he knew, his former students that have passed away in 
hell, screaming in torment, saying, Pastor John, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be here. It was your it was your doctrine that led me here. Your doctrine of, well, you know, it's it's all under the blood. We are, you know, we cannot lose our salvation, yada, yada, yada. Your doctrine. Your, and so, of course, he was shaken, shaken to the core. And he, he repented. And he started preaching repentance. God bless him. So, yeah, a lot of a lot of churches today are so corrupt. But you know, we read about it last night. Um, you know, they have all of these ungodly traits, yet they appear as godly. You know, they have all of these ungodly things. They appear as if they have a form of godliness. But they deny the power thereof. There's no power in their church. And again, what power am I talking about? What am I talking about? Some feeling, some good feeling with your hands raised singing? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the power to set someone free from their sins, from their addictions, from their slavery to sin. And so that's what is missing in church today. That's what's missing in church today. They preach a very watered-down Word of God. They preach a very watered-down gospel. They don't preach the way Yeshua preached. In fact, I, I'll never forget, there's a, an old, an old, talk about old-fashioned preacher. An old-fashioned preacher, uh, he once said, if Jesus preached the way pastors today preach, he would never have been crucified. Think about that for a minute. If Jesus preached the way many pastors, church leaders today, evangelists, priests, if Jesus preached the way they preach today, Jesus would never have been crucified. You think about it, right? So he was on trial. Yeshua was on trial. And, and, and then after that, there was, the, there was the choice. You either take Barabbas or you take Jesus to be set free. We want Barabbas. Well, what am I supposed to do with Jesus? And it's like it's almost like all of them. I'm sure maybe not all of them, but almost all of them. You know, probably there could have been a few a few disciples in amongst the thousands, but pretty much all of them shouted out, crucify him. Why would they do that? Why would they do that? I believe it's because. Yeshua wasn't this lovey-dovey, nicey, hyper-nice, tree-hugging hippie like everybody believes that he was. I don't think that he was. He said the world hates him because he testifies that their deeds are evil. Okay? So he made a lot of enemies. If you read, if you actually read through the Gospels and you think, okay, let me read it. Let me just read it for what it really says. Let me just take it for what it says. And you know, you read over and over again where it says that Jesus, uh, he, he caused people to get so angry with him. Seems like everywhere he went, they were very angry with him. They tried to do him in. They tried to take him out time and time and time again. Finally, they succeeded.
pastors today, they preach to please. Jesus didn't. Jesus preached the truth, and sometimes the truth is, is not so pleasant, especially when you're caught up in a lie, right? And so the church today, by and large, is caught up in a lie. It's, it's, it is a fantasy. I would go so far as to say that the Jesus that the church preaches is not the, is not the real Jesus. It is a fake golden calf. It's a fake golden calf Jesus. It has the image of the heavenly reality, just like the golden calf. You see, the calf was uh, part is one of the four living creatures in heaven around the throne. It was one of the four creatures that represented God. When Aaron made the golden calf, he just didn't. Oh, what are we, what are we going to do? Like, how are we? What? What? Well, we should we should use gold. And what kind of image should we make out of the gold? Well, let's just we'll put like maybe a thousand different species in a hat, and we'll do a draw, and we'll pull it up. Oh, it was a cow. Okay, let's do a calf. No, I don't think it was like that. I think that Aaron knew exactly what he was doing. Jeroboam knew exactly what he was doing when he made the golden calves, because they knew by revelation. That one of the symbols of God, we got the eagle, we got the man, we got the lion, we got the calf. And out of those four, right, the eagle, the man, the lion, and the calf. Out of all those four, the calf seems to be the most friendly, I suppose you would say, the most docile, the most approachable, I suppose. Okay, so they take that, they take a heavenly reality, and they form an earthly image out of that heavenly reality in the same way church today they take the heavenly reality yeshua and they form an earthly image out of him they make him into some imaginary they don't say it's imaginary of course they believe it's they say it's real but they they take the heavenly the real deal and they make a fake jesus the golden calf jesus and just like how Aaron, just like how Jeroboam made an image from a heavenly reality that it's more easily approachable, that's that's more friendly, more docile. So the church today takes made an image, their Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about a, a, I'm not I'm not necessarily talking about a literal image. I'm not talking about a, you know a, a picture of Jesus on stained glass window or something like that. Or a painting of Jesus on the wall in the church. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about their image, their doctrine of who he really was, what who they preach him, who they believe him to be. That's what I'm talking about. They they make Jesus, they take the real Jesus and they make a an image of him in their minds, in their doctrine, that is in the form of Jesus, but it's not the real Jesus. It is a fake Jesus. And they make him into a golden calf. They take the real Jesus, who wasn't very friendly with everybody, and they make him into someone who was friendly with everybody. They take the real Jesus, who wasn't very loving with everybody, and they make him into a, into a, into an image that is loving with everybody. They take the real Jesus, who really rebuked people for sin and called sin out and called it like it is. I mean, like, you know, you brood of vipers, you whitewashed tombs. I mean, you look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of stinking, rotten flesh. Called Herod a fox, called a woman a dog, called a whole group of people, uh, the you sons of Satan, you liars, you murderers. I mean, he didn't, he didn't hold anything back. 
but they take the real Jesus and they make him into some kind of tree-hugging hippie. They make him into, just like how Aaron made, they took the real image of the calf, they took the real calf, so to speak, the, the, the heavenly reality, and they made an image of the calf. And it was just, you know, it's just, it's a golden calf. It's something there that sits there and just blesses everyone. I mean, oh, look how beautiful it is. Oh, look at that. Oh, you know, aren't we so blessed to have this calf? You know, it doesn't, it doesn't rebuke you of your sin. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't call you out for anything you've done. You know, it doesn't call you to repentance. Um, no, it just blesses your life. And that's the way people are today in church with their Jesus. It's a golden calf Jesus. It's an image of the real Jesus, but it's not the real Jesus. It is, it's a fake Jesus. It's an imaginary Jesus. It's a, it's a Jesus that never rebukes them of their sin, never calls them out for their lifestyle, just loves them, and just sits there and just adorns their life like, an or, like a golden ornament. That's the problem. That's the problem. So let's see what we got here in the chat. Cat Cool says Shabbat Shalom, Shabbat Shalom, Cat Cool. Welcome, welcome. Caballero, Shabbat Shalom, Shabbat Shalom, brother. Good to see you back here again. Fearfully confident the church appears Pauline. Yes, it is. It is. You know, the church, um, it doesn't really get, most of its doctrine is not from Jesus. Again, they paint they paint the picture as if it is. Like we are all about, it's the church of Jesus Christ. They might as well just call themselves the temple of Paul. They might as well just call themselves the temple of Paul. Come in through the doors, hear a, Paul, a Paulian message, and come forward and accept Paul as your Lord and Savior. And if you reject Paul, oh my, that's blasphemy. I mean, that's, they get most of their doctrine, most of their theology from Paul. It should be, it actually should be from the Tanakh, right? Instead of from Paul, it should be from the Tanakh. Like, like it was in the, in the, in the real book of Acts, New Testament church. It was from the Tanakh. Byron, shalom, shalom, Byron. Byron says, long time. Yes, long time. No see. Hope everything is well with you, Byron. Blessings, brother. Cat cool. It's all quite a shame. Yes, it is. You know, um, we we did a video several days ago on these are the days of Micaiah. And this is what it's like today. You know, these are like the days of Micaiah. Right? In, in, a, in a short, in, if you haven't watched that video, need to go watch it. It'll be in the replays, but um, short, short form of it, a very, very short form of it. In a nutshell, you have the king of Israel, Ahab, and the king of, uh, excuse me, the king of uh, Judah. You got Jehoshaphat and Ahab, okay? Um, just a second. Yeah, so the king of Israel, Ahab, and the king of Judah, Jehoshaphat. So what they did was the king of Israel, of course, he wanted to be very, 
you know, he, he wasn't a very godly man, right? Of course, Ahab wasn't very godly. So what he did was he's like, okay, we want to take this city. We want to go in, besiege the city. We want to capture this city. We want to take it. So he calls Jehoshaphat to, to help him out, king of Judah, to help him out. Like, let's let's team up here. Go, go to Ramoth Gilead and take the city. And so... Jehoshaphat, as evil as he was, he still had a little bit of sense left in left in him, and he's like, "Well, maybe we should inquire of the Lord. Maybe we should inqu maybe we should see if it's really God's will for us to do this. We should really see." And so they called together all these prophets, like four hundred prophets, literally four hundred prophets. They called together. How many prophets do you need to hear the word of the Lord? To know the to know the will of God. How many prophets do you need? I, you know, one or two at the most, I would suppose. But they called 400, 400. Now, I don't think it was um, a coincidence that they called 400. I knew, I think it's, it's something that God had orchestrated to show, to prove a point to us, especially today. And so all 400 prophets unanimously without any without any you know without any second opinion they, all 400 of them gave gave the kings the same word god will give you the city you get you got the victory you know you're blessed god is with you yada 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 it's just like the the joel osteen message right it's the joel osteen the all all 400 of them give them the joel osteen message God loves you, King Ahab and King Jehoshaphat. You know, God is love. You know, and um, God has, you know, God gives you the victory, right? And he, he's, he's here. He is for you and not against you. He's going to prosper you. Go and take the city. You know, victory is yours. Claim it. Name it. All you, it's all yours. And Jehoshaphat, again, as evil as he was, he had this little inkling within him. It's like, hmm, I know we have 400 prophets. This, was, this is not just 400 believers. This is not just 400 members of a church. This is 400 prophets. But yet there might be, a, maybe we should get a 401st opinion here. <laughs> maybe we should get a, there might be something other than what they're saying, there might be another message that we've never heard. I know there's all 400 that are all preaching the same message, but there might be something that the that one of these prophets that 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 God wants us to know that these prophet these 400 prophets have not picked up on. So Ahaz, King Ahaz, uh, is there any other prophets that you know of in, in, in the land? Is there, Do we have everyone? I mean, we want to hear every opinion. Now, again, as, as bad as Jehoshaphat was, he had enough wisdom. He had a lot more wisdom, as evil as he was. He was very evil in promoting sexual immorality and building the golden calves, all kinds of stuff that he did very evil, wicked man. However, he was wiser than a lot of Christians today. Why, how do, how, you know, why would I say that? How could I say that? Because Jehoshaphat had enough wisdom within him to say, you know what? Have we heard every point of view? Have we heard? King Ahaz, have we heard every prophet? 
I know there's 400 before us right now. There are 400 here, and they all say the same thing. And me, you know, I'll, you know, maybe you know, you might, you might argue all we need is one or two prophets to get the word of God. Uh, I mean, let everything be established by one or two. But it could it be that we haven't heard the whole truth, or could it be that we haven't heard everything yet? That we haven't looked at this situation. We haven't looked at this from every point of view. See, a lot of Christians are too are too afraid to say something like that. A lot of Christians are too afraid to say, oh, no, no, don't listen to him, man. Don't listen to him. Uh, you know, what he says is totally off, off, the wall, like off the wall. Don't listen to him. Block him out of your life. But just, you know, we got our own little social group going here. You know, don't listen to the guy across the street. He's a heretic. Don't listen to him. He wouldn't tell you anything that's true. You know, 100% of everything that he's ever said since he was born has always been a lie. You know, you, you, you can never learn anything from him. Um, that's how a lot of Christians are like, right? A lot of Christians are like that. Oh, don't read the Apocrypha. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, you're not going to learn anything from the Apocrypha. When even Martin Luther himself, as evil as he was, even Martin Luther himself said, that Christians should study the Apocrypha, at least for historical reasons. I don't believe in much of what Martin Luther ever said or taught or did. In fact, I think much of it is very repulsive and against the word of, the word and the will of God. However, um, even he said you, you should listen, read, study the Apocrypha. A lot, of church, a lot of Christians have lived and died and never even opened it up, never even cracked it open. And this is the reason why I have a vast variety of guests on live stream because, hey, you know, God can use everybody and he does. He can use anybody to, to speak to you. You can learn things. Even if, even if it's a guy who's completely like full of falsehood, at least it can stimulate it can stimulate you to think and help you to build a, a sure foundation. Because even even the heretics will help you because you're gonna because you're gonna say, okay, so I know this is wrong. Let's just say it is wrong. Uh, it's wrong. I know it's wrong. It helps you to think about it more. It helps you to build more of a scriptural foundation. It helps you to look at it from a. It helps you to think more critically. Okay. So Jehoshaphat, he had enough wisdom in him to say. Is there one other prophet? I mean, is there anybody else out there that we have not heard from yet? And King Ahaz is like, um, uh, well, as a matter of fact, yeah, there is. But I don't know. I mean, this guy, he's always prophesying doom and gloom. It's always negative. It's always wrong. I don't like him. I don't like him. Forget about him. Well, who is he? Um, well, you know, it's, it's Micaiah. Micaiah. I don't like him. He's always prophesying bad things. He's not tickling our ears. So the story goes long and short of it is that the um, Micaiah came forward. He he initially actually um, sarcastically prophesied 
uh, positive over. You say, oh, guys, you guys, God's with you, man. Like, you know, everything's all right. God will give you the victory. And and they're like, mm, Micaiah, are you telling us the truth? Because, again, I believe that, you know, that Jehoshaphat had this little inkling inside of him that something wasn't exactly 100% right. And so Micaiah said, okay, you know what? Yeah, uh, I admit, you know what? You want to know the truth? Here's the truth. King, King Ahaz, if you go and you try to take Ramath Gilead, you're not going to come back alive, period. Full stop. You're going to be done. And Ahaz is like, see, I told you. He's the, he, you know, he doesn't prophesy anything good about me. I told you about that. So between King Jehoshaphat and King Ahaz, who did who do you think they believed? Who do you think they believed? The 400 prophets? The 400 prophets who all unanimously told them that God is going to give them the victory or the one who said that God is going to not God's not with you. He's not going to give you the victory. In fact, you're going to lose your life. And just for those of you who love the mathematics, 400 to 1 is uh, 400 to 1 is, is, is exactly 99.75%. So 99.75% of the, of the prophets, the leaders, the spiritual leaders there said that God will give them the victory. And only 0.25 of all the prophets said, no, God is not with you. Who would you believe? Who would you believe? Would you believe the vast majority, the 99.75% of all the spiritual leaders? Or would you believe the 0.25? And you know the story. Right, this is in 1 Kings chapter 22, for those of you who want a reference. 1 Kings chapter 22, you know the story. They listen to the majority. They listen to the majority. They listen to the to the ones who they, you know, they have the good feelings, right? It gives them the good feelings, just like a lot of people today. It's like, well, the Holy Spirit told me something. Well, how do you know it's the Holy Spirit? Because I know the Holy Spirit. Well, how do you know it's the Holy Spirit? Well, because uh, because I have the Holy Spirit. <laughs> circular, circular reasoning, right? Um, well, how do you know? Because I feel like it's the Holy Spirit. I feel like God, you know, God gave me this. It's the Holy Spirit. It's a feeling. They have the good, warm feelings. Now, don't get me wrong. The Holy Spirit can give you good, warm feelings, but don't trust the feelings. Trust God. So it seems like these, these kings trusted the feelings like a lot of Christians do today. Well, I believe it's the Holy Spirit because it just feels so good and right and holy, and it just feels like it's God. I just know God's voice because Jesus said, my sheep will hear my voice. Uh, not so fast, not so fast. So, um, these are like the days of Micaiah. We have 400 to 1. Do not be part of the 400 club. I know I said this before and somebody says, 
are you talking about the 700 club? No, I'm not talking about the 700 club. I'm, I call it the 400 club. The 400 club is the vast majority, the 99.75% of the church leaders, church leaders, pastors, evangelists that, that, that have the form of godliness. And they, 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 most people believe that what they're saying is, is God and the word of God and, and that God is using them and they're mighty man, they're mighty men of God. Most people believe that wholeheartedly. Um, you know, well-meaning people believe that. Are you part of the 400 Club? Or are you part of the one? It's time we have enough wisdom, even like Jehoshaphat. I, you know, Jehoshaphat, you know, as Jehoshaphat will rise in the in the last day and judge most Christians. As, again, as much as evil as Jehoshaphat was, he will he will rise up against most Christians in judgment because the Christians don't have the the sense and the wisdom that, that he had in listening to and hearing all points of view. These are the days of Micaiah. Do not be part of the 400 club. Go with the one, not the 400. The Tower Time on YouTube says, Shabbat Shalom, bless y'all. Shabbat Shalom, brother, good to see you. Blessings multiplied to you. Matthew says, blinded by the church, wrapped up like a sheep, another blinded by the light. Very good, Matthew. The Great Deception says, Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Shabbat Shalom, brother. Good to see you. Blessings. Fearfully confident, Yeshua said Moses spoke of him, yet Christians want to ignore that what Moses said. I think most Christians are suffering of co cognitive dissonance. Yes, 100%. Yes, absolutely. You got it. Vinny says Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom, Vinny. Vinny, you all have a blessed Shabbat. Thank you. I, I, you probably It's probably finished on your side of the world over there, Vinny, so I hope you had a blessed Shabbat. So... Thank you. Good to see you. Blessings, brother. Yes, Matthew says, many are selected, but a few are chosen. Yes, exactly. Many are called, but few are chosen. And this is the thing too, right? You think about this for a moment. In this, if this doesn't, If this doesn't give you a little bit of the fear of God, I don't know what will, but you think about this. 600,000. Now, I know we got someone like Brother Onia, all right? He he questions the numbers, but let's take the numbers for what it says, you know, at least on the surface in the scriptures. Uh, it says that 600,000 men, men alone, came out of Egypt with Moses. It's not counting the wives, not counting the children. I would dare believe that some of these men had uh, wives, probably more than one. Uh, and these men had children, more than likely, way more than one. And so they estimate at least, going by those numbers, they estimate at least, I mean, the this is like bottom line, like bare bones, at least 3 million people. I believe it could have been up towards maybe even 10 million. I mean, that's not even counting the great, uh, what do they call it? The um, Exodus 12, 38, the mixed multitude that came up 
uh, out of Egypt with the children of Israel as well, with Moses. They all joined together and, you know, they were they were all together as one. Um, you know, again, that, pr- that proves that the Gentiles uh, were grafted in uh, and received the Torah all together with the children of Israel. That's another whole topic. But um, but let's just say let's just let's just take like the small number. I believe it could be up to 10 million. I don't know. I don't know how much, several million. But let's just take the small number, 3 million, right? And that's just like, it, that's like every man had a wife that would, you know, so every one of the 600,000 had a wife that would bring it up to 12. Oh, that would, that would, uh, that would take it up to 1,200,000. Okay. Just with the wives alone. That doesn't count the children. So let's say you have, let's say they had children like we do today. Like, let's say there's two point something children per couple, which I believe is probably way more than that back in those days. That would take you up to close to 3 million alone. Okay. So let's just say 3 million people. They were all called. They were all called. And out of 3 million or more people, how many were actually chosen? How many were actually chosen? How many actually got the promise? Only two. Only two. Only two. Can you imagine? So that's like... That's like one in every million and a half. Out of every out of every million and a half people who are called, only one actually made it. As it says in the in the scriptures, I, this this came to my mind. Right, it says, uh, uh, "Let me just get this." You guys know it. If the righteous are scarcely saved, if the righteous are scarcely saved, okay, so. This is 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, you see, look at, let me just stop here for a second because this is awesome. Judgment must begin at the house of God. This is kind of following with the theme that we're going on today. You know what? I never, I did not plan on reading this. It just came to me within the last minute of this passage. I did not even think about this until just now. For, for the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And that's basically what I've been saying all along. Judgment must begin at the house of God. We must clean up the church before we can clean up the world, if it's possible. Um, judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? Uh, of God? So if it first begin at us, in other words, if judgment comes to the church, what shall the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? In other words, if God judges, if God's judgment falls upon the church, which I believe it will and has, um, his people, if he judges his people like that, how much worse will those who don't who are not part of his people? And I like the way it puts it here, obey not the gospel of God. It's not just believing, it's obeying, obeying not. And if, this is uh, 1 Peter 4, 18, and if the righteous scarcely, scarcely be saved, where 
shall the ungodly and the sinner appear. Wow. And there you go. I mean, and that just, again, goes to show many are called, few are chosen. Out of 1,500,000 or more, only one made it through. Only one. That's, that's a scary thing. But hey, um, it's a message that needs to be preached. And again, in, in today's church, you don't, you don't, uh, you don't see that. Great deception says, quote unquote, don't judge. Yeah, don't judge. You know, these people who say don't judge, they're the ones that are judging, right? It's like, you're too judgmental. Well, it's like, you're too judgmental of my judgmentalism. Like, how dare you judge? You're not supposed to judge. I condemn you for judging. It's like, uh, look in the mirror, right? <laughs> Um, thank you for judging me, uh, for judging, you know, as question for move says, judge righteously. Yes. In John chapter seven, when, simply meaning like make right, make, make right judgments, right? See, everybody judges, right? Everybody judges. doesn't matter. I know there are a lot of people out there. They think that they are just loving and accepting of everybody and they never judge anybody. But the truth is they do. Actually, the truth is. And I've come from 30 years of being involved in the church quite extensively. And I'll tell you the truth. I'll tell you the truth, okay? Not very often do I, I make truth statements, but this is one of them. The people who say to you that they don't judge anything, they don't judge anybody, that all we're supposed to do is show the love and acceptance, the unconditional love and acceptance of God to everybody, that, that you know, that... That's all we're supposed to do is just show the unconditional love and acceptance of God to everybody. Those, here's the truth, those people are the first ones to ignore you, to walk away from you, to not listen to you, to unfriend you, to block you. It's true. They're the first ones. Those people are the first ones to reject you. It's absolutely true. Sunshine says over there on TikTok, Shalom, Shalom, Sunshine. All right, so um, let me just take it a little bit further. When Jesus said in Matthew 7, judge not lest ye be judged, he, he went on to explain what he meant. It doesn't mean judge not, period. Like, you know, like, you know, universally, um, you know, universally applied in an absolute sense to everybody everywhere. That's not what he meant. He, he goes, he, if you read the whole thing, right, it's very clear. He said, the measure that you meet will be measured to, back to you. In other words, the measure that you use to measure other people will be back, measured back to you. And then he goes on to say, if you have, like, don't, uh, don't try to remove a speck from your brother's eye when you have a log in your own eye. First, remove the log out of your eye. Then you can see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. So what he's saying is you need to judge. You should judge. You should remove that speck out of your brother's eye. Just make sure you got the log out of your eye first. And on top of all that, in context, in Matthew chapter 7, 
He is talking to hypocrites. He's not talking to his people. He's not talking to his beloved disciples because he makes it very clear. He says it very, very explicitly. Ye hypocrites. He's not saying that to his beloved John or James. He's talking to other people. He's talking to the hypocrites that he quite commonly addressed. So bottom line is this. Jesus said, do not judge or do, okay, let me put it in, in, a, in a much, in a clearer way. This is much clearer. What Jesus said, how it should be interpreted, how it should be applied is this. He, he said, do not condemn somebody for doing the very same things that you are presently doing. That's it right there. That's it. Do not condemn somebody for doing the things that you have that you are presently doing because in obviously in that that is being hypocritical it's going to come back on you you're going to that judgment that is going to boomerang back to you because you are like don't judge somebody for you know using filthy language if you you know if you're telling them not to do it using filthy language but if you repent of your sin, you can and actually should help others to repent of their sin. Furthermore, in order to really be a disciple and a follower of Jesus, you have to judge. Jesus said, beware of wolves in sheep's clothing. You cannot beware of wolves if you never judge anybody as being a wolf. Jesus said, beware of false prophets. You cannot... Uh, Obey Jesus. You cannot do what he told you to do unless you judge somebody as being a false prophet. Beware of the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. On and on it goes. Judgments can be good. Judgments can be bad. Like, for example, you look out, you're, uh, you're in a park or something like that, or you're, li you're living in an area where you have like a, a yard. You look out in the yard, you see, oh, the grass is green. That's a judgment. You're calling the grass green. You are judging it as being green. That's a judgment. You make judgments all the time. Waking or sleeping, you're always making judgments all the time. Whether you believe it or not, you are always judging people and things all the time. And there's no possible way to not judge unless you just are not alive. And even if you're not alive... In the afterlife, you're probably making judgments. There's no way around it. There's no way around it. As long as you're in existence, you are judging. Matthew says, perhaps they were all picked to deliver the same message, but it needed to be explained, delivered, and said many different ways to appease the many ways people can understand or accept. You know, it's, it's, it's very important to do that, right? I think it's very important to to cater your delivery to your audience, but not the message, right? Keep the message the same, but you, you can you can deliver it in certain different ways. The problem is amongst the church today, the, the entire message is wrong for the most part, right? So the message is wrong, everything is wrong. Uh, and so that's, that's the problem. Great, Great Deception says, you will know them by their fruit, action, words, yes. 
Question for Move says, have you ever heard of the Arabic recitation of a smart part of Matthew 5? It's quite cool. No, I haven't actually. Vinny says, uh, the law came by Moses, but faith and grace came through Jesus as they say. Yes, a couple problems with that. Number one is, again, Gospel of John. As some of you know, what I, um, you know, the Gospel of John has a lot of problems in and of itself. Like, where Jesus said in the other gospel, like there's so much we, we can talk, we can actually do a whole video. Actually, we have done whole videos about it, but um, that's the first thing. Number two is it, it the word, but in the original uh, Greek, it was, is not really there. The word, but makes it sound like it's opposing, right? Like the law came through Moses, but opposed to that, you know, grace came through grace and faith came through Jesus. It's like, first of all, um, and this kind of, that kind of feeds the deception of dispensationalism. That 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 word but that is not in the original. Uh, but those who know, especially the those of the Jewish world who really spend a lot of time in studying the Tanakh, unlike most Christians that just spend time studying the, the letters of Paul, uh, they understand and know that the that the Torah is all about faith and grace. You can't help but read, if you're reading the Psalms, for example, especially Psalm 19 and Psalm 119, both of those, 119 and 19, but many of the other Psalms and the rest of Scripture, by the way, um, really makes it very clear that the Torah came through um, through grace. It is a, it's an act of God's love. It's an act of God's mercy. It's an act of God's grace. Oh, how I love thy law. I will obey all your commandments, as it says over and over and over again. And sometimes it says, I am obeying all your commandments. You know, um, the law of God, the Torah, is sweeter than honey, more precious than the finest of golds, more to be desired than anything else in the world. It is the most beautiful, most lovely thing, the most valuable thing. I mean, King Ptolemy, back in the third century BC, he paid. They say it's the world record price for any book ever in history. He paid the largest price ever in history for the Torah. Um, very amazing. So also, I mean, you, it's it, it can be quite easily proved, and it's quite evident that faith that the Torah is a law of faith and grace, and Jesus is a man of the law. So that particular verse, first of all, consider the source, the Gospel of John. For those of you wondering what I'm talking about, you can look in the previous videos that we, we made about the Gospel of John. There's much more actually to be said than what I said. I didn't cover all the different problems with the, with the Gospel of John, but just a few. Um, but yeah, Jesus, when he came, he preached the Torah. That's quite evident. So you can say the law, the law came by Jesus and faith and grace came by Moses too. That's quite evident. If you read it through the scriptures, you see a lot of Christians, they know, again, they know uh, their little, they know the letters of Paul more than they know the, the, the Tanakh. So that's, Matthew says a war of attrition. I agree, Christopher. 
so much to say about the deceptions disguised as feelings. Yes, so much. So many so many people, so many Christians do this today. There's so many of them. They all believe that they have the Holy Spirit. Let me just say this. I've said this many times before, but I need to repeat it for those of you who haven't heard it. And maybe you've heard it before, but it just never sunk in. But there's this pastor. I used to go to this church and there's this pastor. He, and you know, just like anything else, if, if it's good, I quote it. If it's not good, I don't quote it. And if I do quote it, and if it's not good, I tell you it's not good. But this is a good thing. This pastor said, it's a good thing. He said, he said, you know, that there's so many people who, uh, actually a couple things. Let me just say a couple things. There's so many people who, who believe they have the Holy Spirit, but they don't live a holy life. So he said, never forget the Holy Spirit is a holy spirit. In other words, do not claim to be led by the Holy Spirit if you're doing unholy things. Do not claim that you are thinking that, that the Holy Spirit is, is, is giving you the thoughts of the Holy Spirit if your thoughts are not holy. Don't believe, do not think that you are living a life in, in, in accordance with the Holy Spirit if, you're, if your life is not holy. By the, way, by the way, the word holy simply means to be separate, set apart, different, set apart from the world, the world system, how the world lives, how the world thinks. And number two is this. This pastor also said, there are a lot of people, now this is in a charismatic setting. There are a lot of people who, are really um, desiring to hear the voice of God. And they want to know how to hear the voice of God. And they'll do everything they can possibly do to try to hear the voice of God. They'll pray as much as they can. They'll read books about pro how to prophesy or how to hear the voice of God, yada, yada, yada. They're, they're so, they go to all these different pro prophetic con conferences. They're so um, taken up in this idea that they can or they want to hear the voice of God for themselves. They want to hear God speak to them. They want to know God's voice. So this pastor said, I'm going to give you a surefire way to hear God's voice. It's like, what? Okay. Now remember, this, this pastor is like, he's actually, uh, this is something that that is one of the best things I've ever heard this pastor say. <clears throat> he said, I'm going to give you a surefire way to hear the voice of God. If you honestly pray that God will show you your sins so that you can repent of them, you'll hear the voice of God. God will jump to the occasion to answer that prayer. Other prayers, well, it seems like, did God answer it? Did God even hear it? Is God taking his time answering this prayer? But you pray something like that. Father, show me my sins so that I can repent of them. Show me what I need to repent of. God will jump to the occasion to answer that prayer. You will hear the voice of God. God, Show me if there's anything in my life that needs to go. 
a lot of Christians, they believe they have the Holy Spirit, but they, they don't. It's actually their own spirit. You read the book of Jeremiah, and Lord willing, we'll get to that shortly. I mean, not today, of course, but in our daily, uh, well, semi-daily, I mean, ex except for Shabbat and Arab Shabbat, but uh, in our daily scripture readings, um, we'll get to the to the book of Jeremiah. But Jeremiah says a lot about people who believe they hear the voice of God, but it's not really the voice of God. It is their own heart. It is their own spirit. Remember Deuteronomy 18, right? Where it's like, if, if anybody says thus and thus, will, this will happen, you know, the Lord showed me that this will happen on this date. And it doesn't happen. They're not hearing the voice of God. And don't listen to anybody. Don't listen to anybody who is not living that life. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about I'm not talking about whether or not you can learn from people. Because I believe you can learn from saint sinner, you can believe you can learn from everybody. I'm talking about taking what they say as being from a prophet. Taking what they say as being the word as as if they're a prophet. If they're not living a holy lifestyle, if they're not living a holy lifestyle, then you should never look at that. You should never listen to that as if it's the word of God. Can you learn from that person? Sure you can learn from that person. But a lot of Christians believe that they hear from the Holy Spirit. A lot of them. In fact, there's this one person, I'm not going to mention any names, but on TikTok, by the way, those of you on TikTok, I am on YouTube as well right now. But there is there is one person that is on YouTube or on TikTok, excuse me. This person's always saying, this is what the Holy Spirit wants you to know. This is what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now. This is what the Holy Spirit says right now. This is what the Holy Spirit wants you to know. The Holy Spirit saying this. The Holy Spirit saying this. And so it was like every video was like the Holy Spirit this, the Holy Spirit that. This person is ungodly. And that's not to even mention that what they say is untrue. It's not in accordance with the law of God, with the word of God, with the, with the instructions of God. It is far out of line. But there's a lot of people who just snag this right up. They're part of the 400 Club. They're part of the 400 Club. They say there are over... I, I haven't confirmed it in, in quite... Frankly, I, I'm not really interested in confirming it, but I wouldn't doubt it. They say there's over, over 40,000. Some people say 43. Some people say 45,000 denominations today. Church denominations. And... Every single one of them believes that they go by the Holy Spirit. Every single one of them believes that they hear from the Holy Spirit, believes that they're led by the Holy Spirit. So what's what's up with that? 43,000 different, 43 plus thousand different denominations. That means 43,000 different schisms, 43,000 
different divisions. All saying something different and they cannot, they cannot fellowship with one another. They cannot stand one another. That's why there's a, they have to have their own church. And yet they all say they're being led by the Holy Spirit. Is there, what's wrong with that picture? What's wrong with that picture? It's either there are 43 plus thousand different quote unquote Holy Spirits that all contradict each other, or there are 43,000 different people that are all, that are all, or 43,000 different groups of people that are all deceived into thinking that what they're following is of the Spirit of God, but it's not. I mean, think about it. There are so many people who do stupid things too that they believe it's the Spirit of God that's speaking to them. It's not. It's their own spirit. It's their own feelings. As you say, Matthew, so much to say about the deceptions disguised as feelings. Thank you for the likes over there on TikTok. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Pious Crusader. So don't go by feelings. God, you know, if you guys want to know, if you guys want to have, you know, can I do this? Can I, if you guys want to have some homework, okay, if you guys want to have some homework, read four Maccabees, four Maccabees. It's, it's not easy to find. I'll give you a hint on how to find, I know there's one different, it's not easy to find four Maccabees, okay, but, um, Four Maccabees was actually in the Bible. It's actually still in many Bibles today. Unfortunately, the Protestant church has ripped themselves off in, in not printing it in their Bibles. But, and same with some of the Roman Catholics as well. But I'll show you guys. Let me just show you guys how to, how to do this. This is one, one way to, to, to get to it and to read it. There are many different ways, by the way, to read it. This is one. I mean, many different. You, you can order... Like I can order a book that has all four, like one, two, three, and four Maccabees all together in one book. But I'm just talking about four Maccabees, not one, two, or three, just four. It's an awesome book. It is so good. It's something, ever since I read it, I just, it's it's in the back of my mind almost all the time. And it's just a one, it's, it's amazing. Okay, you guys, if you haven't read it, you need to read it. If I can do that, if I can give you guys some homework. Okay, so go to, I'll show you guys what to do. Go to ebible.org okay and then scroll down to where it says world english bible click on that and then on the left hand side you will see a list of all these different books of the bible right now in the brown you got the apocrypha tobit judith esther the greek esther the wisdom of solomon sirach baruch first and second maccabees first esdras prayer of manasseh Psalm 151, 3 Maccabees, 2nd Esdras, 4 Maccabees. There it is, 4 Maccabees. Click on that, and there you go. There is 18 chapters to the book, and each chapter is not all that long. I mean, but it, it is a wonderful, wonderful book. Um, it's amazing, okay? And um, it really shows you how God works through and ordained for us to have reason. Good, godly, heavenly, the heavenly gift of good, godly reason. And so we see so much today in, in, in the world today 
that there are so many people that are completely like totally they've lost everything they've lost their reason and you know this is what this is one of the the main things that that divides the animal world from the human world right is reason and it's a god-given gift and um and so you see Yeshua, you see Jesus in the Gospels many, many times saying, have you not read? Don't you understand? Are you so dull? Uh, don't you know? Uh, yada, yada, yada. Lots of different things like that. Okay. So it's quite obvious that Jesus wants you to read, to understand, to use your noggin. Okay. The devil operates by... Um, Irrational. He 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 actually operates by irrationality and ignorance. That's how the devil operates. If you if you come to your senses, so to speak, you know, like the prodigal son who came to his senses, um, he he operated by he, he was ir, irrational and illogical and uh, all that kind of thing. But God operates through reason good godly heavenly good reason good thinking god gives you all good knowledge and and intelligence comes from god the devil the devil operates through ignorance it says in acts chapter 3 that the that it was through the ignorance of the princes of the world that the, that the son of god was crucified So what I'm saying is that a lot of people, they go by their feelings. They think it's the Spirit of God. What they should be doing is they should be studying. They should be using their God-given reason. They should be using their noggin. They should be uh, attaining some God-given knowledge. They should be seeking the truth. And they won't be going like, like, like the wind. You know, They won't be as unstable as the wind being blown to and fro by every wind of doctrine because they'll have a good foundation of knowledge and truth and reason. And by the way, that will, I guarantee you, that will exponentially increase your faith. Yeah, the Tower Times says those 400 prophets were kind of like the Sidroth prophets uh, that claimed Trump was going to win the past election. Yeah, and you see, this is what happens a lot, right? When you have people that are um, these kind of, I hate to use the term false prophets because it's being, it's, it's so abused anymore these days. But when you have these kind of people who believe they hear from the Holy Spirit and they say such and such is going to happen and they don't, it doesn't happen. Either one of two things happens. One, they humble themselves and they realize that they don't even know the voice of God at all. And they need to start, they need to start back at square one. Or two, they cover it up by saying, well, he did win it. <laughs> he did win it. It's just that uh, someone stole it, <laughs> you know. Um, you know, there's always people who try to reconcile and try to make things sound like they're not, right? Like when, and that's the same when it comes to the contradictions of the Bible, right? You, 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 pour, you point out two very clear contradictions. And you always got people saying, well, yeah, but, and they talk around it, they explain it away, but it's not plausible. It doesn't really fit. It doesn't really work. 
right? You just, just, just be honest. And there, there are contradictions and that's okay. It's not going to, you're not going to lose your faith over it. That's okay. Um, you'll lose your faith in your bibliolatry, but you won't lose your faith in God and you won't lose your faith in the, in the man, in, in the word of God, word of God being what the manuscripts conveys to us as to what God actually spoke. Okay. Vinny says, and yet they forget his voice when they when they get to the writings of Paul. Yeah, because they think that Paul, everything that Paul wrote was from the from the Spirit of God. They think that. Now, I don't believe. I, I can't say that everything that Paul wrote was from the Spirit of God. That's not to. Uh, let me just say this for those of you who are new to this kind of way of looking at things. When I say everything that Paul wrote was not from the Spirit of God, I'm not saying that everything that Paul wrote is false. Because you can. You can have, um, for example, you can buy something from the store and get a get a, a you know the instruction booklet with it. That instruction booklet can be inerrant. It can be inerrant, no errors in it whatsoever. But that doesn't mean it's the word of God. There are a lot of books that are inerrant. It doesn't mean it's the word of God doesn't mean it's inspired of God. Likewise, there are a lot of books in the common canon of Scripture that do have errors in them. That doesn't mean that God doesn't speak through it. Okay? So, I think that a lot of Christians come from an overly simplistic point of view. They're like very overly simplistic. It's good to be simple. But to be overly simplistic about it is not very good. Tammy says, Shalom all. Shalom, Tammy. Good to see you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Vita says, Shabbat Shalom all. Shabbat Shalom, Vita. Good to see you. Welcome. Blessings multiplied to you. Kat Kuo says, why do so few get saved? And this is a really, really good question. Really, really good question. Because they are so precious. That's why. Um, and I know that's... <laughs> um, if you read 2nd Esdras, 2nd Esdras talks about that. And let me just see if I can pull that up. Oh, uh, Precious Crusader says Maccabees chapter 4 or the fourth book of Maccabees. I'm talking about the fourth book of Maccabees. Thank you for the question. Hopefully that clears everybody else up. That was before. That's not what I'm reading right now. That's what we were talking about before. Awesome book. The fourth book of Maccabees is awesome. Um, absolutely awesome. If you haven't read it, hey, do it. Read it. It is just amazing. Uh, it's just amazing. Uh, but now I'm reading from the second book book of Esdras, 2nd Esdras, chapter 7. Now, the whole chapter needs to be read, but let me just kind of zone in on verse 45. Let's start there. I mean, for those of you who are really interested in this, I think the whole the whole chapter should be read to get it right in its full context, but I'll start with verse 45. I answered, now this is Hermas speaking to the Lord, okay? He says, 
I said then, O Lord, and and uh, and I say now, blessed are those who are now alive and keep your commandments. But what about those for whom I prayed? For who is there of those who are alive who have not who has not sinned, and who of the children of is or children of men hasn't transgressed your covenant? Now I see that the world to come will bring delight to few, but torments to many. So. What, let me just stop here for a second. What Ezra, what Ezra is saying here is that there's only going to be a few that are saved, right? Uh, the world to come will bring delight to few. In other words, there's only, be a, there's only going to be a few that make it into the good hereafter, but, but many, many will be um, in torment. As, as Jesus actually even said himself, um, wide is the way, right? Wide is the gate. That leads to destruction. Many, many, many will be on it, but only few will find that straight and narrow. Right? As he said, as Jesus himself said, make every effort to enter that narrow gate. So there's only a few that make it to the good part of the afterlife. There are many who do not. Verse 48 For an evil heart has grown up in us which has led us astray from these commandments and has brought us into corruption and into the ways of death. It has shown us the paths of perdition and removed us far from life, that is, and that, not a few only, but nearly all who have been created. He answered me, listen to me, and I I will instruct you. I will admonish you yet again. For this reason, the Most High, has not made one world but two. For because you have said that the just are not many but few, in other words, few are saved, and the ungodly abound, hear the explanation. If you have just a few precious stones, will you add them to the to clay or to lead and clay? I said, Lord, how can how could that be? He said, Not only that, but I ask, but ask the earth, and she will tell you. Defer to her, and she will declare it to you. Say to her, you produce gold, silver, and brass, and also iron, lead, and clay. But silver is more abundant than gold, and brass than silver, and iron and lead than iron, and clay than lead. Judge, therefore, which things are precious and to be desired, what is, it, what is abundant or what is rare. I said, O sovereign Lord, that which is plentiful is of less worth. For that that which is more rare is more precious. He answered, he answered me, weigh within yourself the things that you have thought. For he who has, for he who has what is hard to get rejoices over him who has what is plentiful. So all is the judgment which I have promised. For I will rejoice over the few that will be saved, the few that will be saved, because these are those who have been made to, uh, excuse me, these are those who have been or have made my glory to prevail now, and through them my name is now honored. I won't grieve over the multitude of those who perish. For these are those who are now like mist and have become like flame and smoke. 
they are set on fire and burn hotly and are extinguished. Okay, so um, he goes on, I mean, throughout the rest of this chapter, he goes on to explain it more and more, but that, that gives you a little bit of a, of a hint of uh, the answer of your answer to your question, Matthew. It's like, few are saved because they are the gold of the earth. They are the gold. They are the very rare ones, the precious ones, not plentiful. And being, being few, being rare, makes them of greater value. Thank you for your question, Matthew. Awesome question. It's getting to the point here where we got so many, so much going on in the chat. I'm going to have to um, only take the chats that you have labeled as at Christopher. So uh, again, I apologize in advance here if I miss your comment or your question. Uh, if I do miss it, please resubmit it, if you will, please, um, with the at Christopher tag in there. <laughs> Jamie, Jamie, I, I, I think I just heard Paul metaphorically shout, Amen, Brother Chris Renock. <laughs> you know what, like, I, I believe, you know, I, and I know that a lot of people think I'm hard on Paul. Uh, and I'm just, what I'm doing is I'm just trying to pull the pendulum, the pendulum the other way. Like, I think it's gone way too far one way. I'm just trying to pull it back. And I think that people get the impression that I'm, I'm trying to pull it back all the way, but I'm not. Um, I believe that even Paul himself would would like what I say about him and about his writings. Yeah, Tammy, you make you bring a good point here. Many walk the walk and talk the talk, all for show. The reason, you know, this. Sorry for not reading your whole comment. I just got to stop here because I, I, as I read this, I think about um, back in nineteen ninety four. 1994, I went around um, my local area doing a spiritual a spiritual survey. I had a clipboard in my hand. I had a whole lot of, I had, the, the survey consisted of only seven questions, right? So on each page, there were the seven questions, um, and a form and, you know, the, the date and the, all that kind of thing. And one of those, like, it was simple questions like, do you believe in God? Do you believe in uh, Jesus? Do you believe in heaven? Do you believe in hell? You know, in, in your opinion, how do you get to heaven? Uh, these kind of questions like this. Or have, have you been to church? Like, are you a church goer? Or do what do you think of church? These kind of questions. And many, I was not shocked, but I was amused at how many people, when I said, what do you think of church? How many people said it's just a show? It's just a show. A lot of them. A lot of them said that. A lot of them were like, hey, it's just a show. It's not just for people just to dress up and go there and you know, pretend to be good kind of thing. So Tammy goes on to say, and uh, they, don't, they don't really believe in God. They do not believe he is real. He is more of a fairy tale. Yeah. You know what? I think that a lot of these people they 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 think they believe in God. I think that 
they think they believe in God, but they really don't believe in the God of the scriptures. They believe in the God of their church. That's what they believe in. And because of that, this is what this is what fuels atheism today. Atheism said, you know, the atheists, they would say, I don't believe in God. We don't believe in God or there is no God. Well, in a way, they're right because the God of the church is, 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 is a fairy tale. In a way, if you know what I'm talking about, okay, so don't get me wrong. I mean, I believe in God, <laughs> uh, the God of the Bible, okay, the God of the scriptures, yeah, 100%, 1,000%. Um, but and this is what I was talking about earlier, right? The, 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 the quote-unquote Jesus of church is very different than the Jesus that we read of in, in the scriptures, the historical Jesus. Thank you, Tammy. So we got someone hit, someone on TikTok says, I have a question. Can I ask a question? Yes. Yeah. Go ahead. Ask. Yeah. Okay. You say you need to ask a question. Go ahead. Ask a question. Jamie says uh, on YouTube, in the meantime, uh, he says, you wouldn't believe how how offended people get when I tell them the Holy Spirit is not in them when they sin. My goodness. Yeah, I can, I can believe it, Jamie. I believe it. I believe it. I remember this one guy, this one guy years ago. Again, this, this was actually probably back in the early 90s again, right? So this one guy, I was on the streets going around preaching, and sharing the faith and sharing the word of God and stuff and such on, on the streets. There's this one guy that I knew from before. Okay. Is this one old friend that I met on the street? And, um, and this is the type of guy, okay. Like he's, he's pretty messed up. This is the same guy that I say when, when I, when, when I say this guy, I know of a Paul who's, who reminds me of Paul in the Bible, like the Paul, the apostle, quote unquote, Paul, the apostle, where this guy, that I know from the past. Okay. So he, <laughs> uh, what am I going to say? I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be good here. Okay. I'm trying, I'm trying not to be super negative about this guy. Um, he doesn't live a good lifestyle. Okay. So, um, but he talks about God all the time. Talks, Jesus talks, talks Bible all the time. Um, and he's messed up. Like he's messed up. Okay, and he's psychologically messed up. He talks in circles a lot. And he talks in riddles a lot. That's why I say that he, when I think of Paul in the New Testament, I, I think that he's, it makes me think, it makes me, it reminds me of this other guy. Actually, this guy's name's Paul too, right? This guy's name is Paul. And so I met him on the street, Paul, right? And so... Um, and he's talking about this, talking about that, right? And, you know, and he's, I mean, he's not living the life. I'm not going to get into details of what he does and what he's doing and stuff, but I mean, he knows all, like he knows scripture. He knows scripture. I mean, like he's, uh, but like he's messed up. He's done some really messed up things in his life. 
lots of rumors going around, used to go around about some of the things that he did, really, really crazy things. Uh, and so it got to the point when I was talking to this guy, his name is Paul, and I said to him, because he's like, God, this, God, that, God, this, God, that. He's talking Bible, scripture all the time. I said, you know, you don't know God. Whoo! You should have seen his reaction when I told him he doesn't. He didn't know God. It's like, oh my, oh my. I touched a nerve there, I tell you. And I can imagine, Jamie, if you tell them that, that the Holy Spirit's not in them when they sin. Just imagine. Ven Games and more says, Shabbat Shalom. Unfortunately, I'm working. Blessings, everyone. Shabbat Shalom. Blessings multiplied back to you. Good to see you. Cindy says, Brother Christopher. Hello, Cindy. Welcome. Blessings. Question for move. What if a Torah observant com confirms their prophecy? Um, I'm not sure of the context. Um, yeah, so I, I'm not sure. A little bit more detail would help me to answer that question. Question for move. So this, this particular person over there on TikTok that kept on saying, need to ask a question, can I ask a question, I have my question, yada, 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 goes by the name Bacon Not Funny. But you didn't, you didn't ask the question. Yeah, Fearful Confidence over there saying, what's your, what's your question? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking. If you need to ask a question, <laughs> I, I, I said, go ahead and, you know, ask, ask your question. So. Eduardo says, Shabbat Shalom all. Shabbat Shalom. Good to see you. Oh, Cindy says, which website, Brother Chris? That was ebible.org. Ebible. The letter E, B-I-B-L-E, dot O-R-G. And um, yeah, I'll just, yeah. So if, I assume you're, you're asking about um, the Maccabees, either. But E Bible has a, has a has a a lot of different apocryphal books that other Bibles won't doesn't have. So, if you go there, what you'll do, what you'll see this right away, ebible.org, and then you scroll down uh, on the left hand side. It says World English Bible, World English Bible. Click on that, and you got the green, which is the typical common Tanakh. Under that's the brown, which is the Apocrypha. And again, four Maccabees or the fourth book of Maccabees. That's the one I was talking about. You also have second Ezra in there as well. Very, very awesome book. Um, so that's how you would get to it. I'm sure there are other websites out there that uh, have the fourth book of Maccabees as well, but this is the one that I'm more familiar with cindy says another another prophet teacher teaches just speak what's in your head not yeah that's it yeah and that it fulfills the you know what jeremiah says about these prophets they preach from their own minds they preach from their own hearts they preach i mean they prophesy i said preach they prophesy from their own heart they prophesy from their own minds they prophesy from their own spirit not the spirit of god that's why so often they are proven wrong. They, they project what they want, right? They wanted Trump to win, so they projected a win for him. They wanted 
I remember, pro yeah, it's like almost every uh, election, you get these prophets that come out and say, well, so-and-so is going to win. So what they're doing is they are putting, they are projecting their own will upon God. Happy Lamb says, Shabbat Shalom, Shabbat Shalom, Happy Lamb. Good to see you. Yeah, Jamie's like, quoting, are you a teacher of Israel? And yet you do not know this, quoting what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3. Caballero says, many people say, Many, uh, many Christians say it's not about religion, but a relationship with God, but disregard Torah as the instructions on how to have a relationship. And you know what? Um, having come from an evangelical background, I probably said the same thing. I can't quite remember. I think I did. However, right now, I'll tell you. The truth of the matter is that's just a play on words. It's just a play on words. They don't like the word religion, so they say it's not about religion. It's about a relationship with God. But if you really have a relationship with, with God, it is. A religion is, you can't have a, a relationship with God without religion anyway. I go so far as to say that even atheism is a religion. Sure, they don't believe in the, the same God. They believe in the God of themselves. Uh, maybe, it depends. Uh, some atheists believe on, in other gods and idols, okay? But... Uh, they don't think that they do. They don't admit that they do, but they do. And the Torah that they disregard is God's Torah, and they have their own Torah. But they, again, they don't admit it. They don't look at it as if it's a Torah. But it is. They're just throwing out God's Torah for their own Torah, for the Torah of their evangelical church, or any church denomination for that matter. And this is so true as well, Jamie. Uh, his commandments define love. Yes, especially in a world where you got so much talk about love and, well, not action, I tell you. I mean, their action is, is far from love, but in the name of love, they do a lot of things that are not good. Pious Crusader on TikTok says, is the world English translation what some people... Excuse me, some people call the Webster Bible. Um, I let me just double check here. No. There is there is actually another translation called the Webster Bible out there. Cindy says, I don't believe Paul is inspired. Question, question, question mark. Uh, question, you don't believe Paul? Okay, so um, actually we have we have spoken about this probably. Oh, we've probably spent hundreds of hours on live streams in the past several months speaking about this topic. Um, and I have probably, I have lots of videos about it. Uh, so um, in a nutshell, this is where I, this is where I stand on Paul. Well, first of all, I believe that the Bible itself, and this is where it all, it all comes down to, okay? The Bible itself is a compilation. It is a library. Talk about library. Talk about library. 
the Bible itself is a library. Okay. Um, and it is a library of many books, depending on what church you're from, depending on what church tradition you're from, because the Bible, whatever Bible you have, it actually is, it actually came to us by church tradition. Believe it or not, that's the truth. There are different traditions. Now, let me just show you. Um, it's, it's very, very important to understand this. This is why I'm talking about this, because this is the root of all of, of where we stand when it comes to Paul and any other book of the Bible for that matter, but Paul especially. So um, the Bible canon, uh, let me just see if I can pull this up. So, yeah. So, back in the days of Jesus, back in the days of the New Testament, there was no Bible. Okay? Uh, if you were to get into a time machine and go back to the days of even the book of Acts, they did not have a Bible. If you were to go to Peter, James, or John, or any of those 12 disciples, if, even if you were to go to Paul himself and say, Is there, you know, hey, uh, where's your Bible? What are you talking about, Paul? No, what's a Bible? Because every book of the Bible, generally speaking, because there were some books that were put together, like First and Second Chronicles and First and Second Kings and so on and so forth. They weren't divided up like we have it today. But every book of the Bible was kept separately from each other. Okay? Like we have the Torah scroll over here. Okay. Actually, just give me a second here. Give me, give me like 10 seconds. Just give me 10 seconds. Okay, so here is a Torah scroll, right? Here's a Torah scroll. Um, they kept the Torah scroll in a completely different place than from the other scrolls. Even today in Jewish synagogues. Now remember... Jesus went to synagogues. He didn't go to church. He didn't build a church. He didn't even talk about building a church, except for perhaps what you say when he said to Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, the word build there means to edify. It means to, it means to build up something that's already there. Okay, so Acts chapter 7 is very clear that the church existed with Moses in Israel, um, back in the days of Moses, in the wilderness, I should say. Okay, so the church existed from long time ago, right? One could argue that the church started with Adam and Eve. The church, the word church means called out, the called out ones, God's people, basically. Okay. Um, so the New Testament church did not go to church. They went to synagogue. They would have a Torah scroll. Um, they would have a Torah scroll that would be kept in a separate, completely separate place uh, compared with any other scroll, okay? And the reason being is because the, the Torah scroll, the books of Moses, and, and the Torah scroll contained the book of Moses, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. This is what this scroll is, and it's actually all English. It's not no, I mean, excuse me, all Hebrew, no English, okay? It's all Hebrew, no English in this scroll. Um, just to give you a little bit of an idea, it. You pull the, uh, they call this a mantle. You pull the mantle off of it, 
and unroll the scroll and read the Hebrew. Now, traditionally speaking, and this tradition went back, I'm not sure how far in history, probably quite a, quite a ways in history, um, perhaps even all the way to the time of Moses. Tradition is that, actually, I'm doing this wrong. <laughs> tradition is the Torah scroll should always be kept on your, held, especially if you're carrying it, on your right-hand side. It is never to be put in any kind of trunk or anything like that to be care, to be transported. Okay, now I know this is not in the Bible, okay, but this is Jewish tradition. And what the reason why I'm saying this is because it's I think it's very important to understand the Bible canon because Paul has everything to do with the Bible canon. The Bible canon started with Moses. This is why I'm talking about this, okay? Numbers chapter 12 says that Moses was the greatest of all the prophets. He spoke to God face to face. None of the other prophets did. Any of the other prophets that ever came was always, uh, God spoke to them through, as Paul would say, through a dark glass. Um, they, they could not see clearly. It was through riddles, through dreams, visions, so on and so forth. But Moses, not so. Clear. Everything was clear, face to face with God. And publicly, not, not privately like the rest of the prophets, right? The rest of the prophets, at least for the most part, God spoke to them privately. So they had to prove themselves. Moses, it was, it was, it all came to him publicly. Exodus chapter 19, publicly. Millions of people to see and hear the voice of God speaking to Moses. So it was instantly accepted as the word of God because everybody knew it was the word of God. Moses did not have to, Moses did not have to convince anybody that he was a prophet when he came down from Mount Sinai. <laughs> Nobody questioned it. In fact, everybody was like, Moses, please, can you do us a favor? Go talk to God by yourself because we can't stand this anymore. So the, the Torah scroll is because Moses was the most honored prophet and the most powerful prophet, um, the Torah scroll is considered to be the most honored and most powerful of all the scrolls. It was, it was, it's kept in a totally different place. Same with in synagogues today. They kept it in a room. Sometimes it's kept in a box. And if it's a if it's a synagogue, it's more likely kept in a room that they call, quote unquote, the Ark. Okay, it's called the Ark. Um, and the Torah scroll is not to be kept in a room where any kind of recreational activity goes on. It's supposed to be, it's, a, it's, it's, it's revered as the most holy book. Um, you're not supposed to carry the Torah, Torah scroll if you have a disability. I mean, there's lots of different things that they, it, it's it's not to be put in a trunk of a car. It's to be it's always to be held on the right hand on the right shoulder like this, and 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 transported like this in honor, respecting the product that came clearly from Moses from God through Moses clearly face to face. It is the highest in rank of all of the prophet of all of the all of the books of the Bible. It's the highest in rank. That's why they they put the Torah first. That's why they call the Tanakh. The Tanakh is um, it's an acronym T N K. In the Christian world, it's called the Old Testament. Jew, Jews hate that, and for a good reason. I hate even talking. I I hate even saying Old Testament because it should never be called Old Testament. Never. It was actually called Old Testament by the son of Satan, Marcion, okay? That's that's how it was, it, they say, and anyway, that's how it began. Um, but the Torah scroll 
was the, the, the greatest of all the, 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 the scrolls because it came through the greatest of all the prophets, as per Numbers chapter 12. In the, in the synagogues, when they take the Torah scroll out of the ark, out of the room or the box that it's kept in, they literally dance. They have a celebration. They celebrate. They dance. They, they shout. They have a wonderful, wonderful, it's a party. Look it up on YouTube, Torah Celebration or Torah March, okay? Um, it's amazing. Why? Because it says in the, in, the, in the scriptures that the Torah is the most beautiful, the, the most precious, uh, sweeter than honey. It is to be rejoiced over. It says that clearly in the scriptures. We are commanded to rejoice over the Torah. That's why when Jews read things like Paul's letters that seem to paint the Torah as being a burden or a, a, a curse or something like that, it's, it's highly abominable highly abominable it is repulsive to the rest of scripture and to the jews okay so the torah scroll was kept in a separate place we got other scrolls that were kept in different places thus maintaining their their position in hierarchy we have the tnk the tanakh right which is again the, the christian old testament T stands for Torah. It's on the top. It's it's. There's a good reason that it's on the top. It has the most authority because of Numbers chapter 12, because of Exodus chapter 19, yada, yada, yada. Because God spoke to Moses publicly with great power, great signs. Everybody saw it. It was instantly, nobody questioned it. Uh, and God corrected Aaron, the brother of Moses, and Miriam, the sister of Moses, saying, how dare you speak against Moses like this? Because I speak to Moses face to face, not like any other prophet. He gets it clearly. He, he sees it crystal clear. Torah scroll. Okay. Apart from the Torah scroll, there were other scrolls that were kept in other places. Um, such as, like, for example, the, the scroll of Isaiah. We have in Luke chapter 4, we have... Uh, it's spoken of that the um, when it says when Jesus attempt, attended synagogue as his custom was. I mean, he attended synagogue. He didn't attend church. He didn't say, "Oh, hey guys, let's build a church and we'll call it the Church of Jesus Christ." No, he he went to synagogue. Same with all the other disciples, all the way through the Book of Acts. Not just in the you know, not just before Jesus died, not just after he rose, but all the way through the Book of Acts, they went to synagogue. And so in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus went to synagogue, as per his custom, it says they brought to him the scroll of Isaiah. They didn't bring to him the King James Bible. They didn't bring to him any Bible. They brought to him a scroll. Well, I don't have the scroll of Isaiah with me. Lord willing, one of these days, I'll either buy a scroll of Isaiah or print one. One of the, one of the two, I'd love to have it set out just the way that they did back in the old just, just the way they did back in the old days. Um, they had each scrolls kept separately in their own separate spot, thus maintaining their individuality and thus maintaining their rank in hierarchy. Very, very important to understand this. They must maintain their rank in hierarchy. The Torah is first. Under that 
the N, Tanakh, T-N-K, under that the N, which stands for Nevi'im, which is a Hebrew name for prophets, such as Isaiah. Then under that's the K, which stands for Ketavim, Ketavim, which means scriptures. Scriptures simply means writings. So in those writings, in those scriptures, we have the historical books. We have like the first and second Chronicles. We have Esther. We have um, some of these other, like a lot of these other books that are not the prophets, nor are they the Torah. They are just the scriptures. Okay. They're on the bottom. Keep in mind that when Jesus was tempted of the devil, the devil quoted Ketavim to him. Jesus responded by quoting Torah to him. He, Jesus took of the highest authority to defeat the devil when the devil took from the lowest authority of Scripture. It is so under, it's so important to understand. It's so vital for every for every Christian, for every believer to understand that there are different levels of Scripture. There is the highest level of the highest authority and the lowest level of the lowest authority. In the Tanakh, in the so-called Old Testament, okay, the highest level is the Torah. The lowest level is the is the Ketavim, such as the Psalms, the Proverbs, the Chronicles, and some of the historical books. Okay, keep in mind the devil did not dare touch Torah. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't quote the Torah. He quoted the Ketavim, the lowest of the authorities. And again, Jesus coming. Ah, ha, ha. can't do that. I'm going to take from the book of Deuteronomy as I always do. Boom. So Jesus defeated the devil using the Torah as per Jewish tradition. Jewish tradition teaches that you, there's only one way to defeat the devil. That is through the Torah. Apparently, Jesus knew and believed that and practiced that. So in the second century A.D., there was a man by the name of Marcion who came along and he was denounced by many of the church fathers as being a devil, uh, a man in whom the evil spirits reside. It said the serpent is on his tongue or in his tongue. Polycarp said that he is um, a son, the son of the child of the devil. Excuse me. Marcion was the first person to come around to say, hey, let's make a Bible. Let's make a New Testament Bible. And so he took uh, the letters of Paul, okay, and he took the Gospel of Luke, you know, and he kind of curated it and tailored it a little bit to his liking, and, and he published that as the New Testament. The whole idea of the New Testament came about through a man that they that the church denounced that was known as the son of Satan. And it, it did not consist of the book of James. The book of James was not in there. The books of 1, 2nd, 3rd John were not in there. Matthew was not in there. Only Paul. Why would such a heretic and son of Satan want only Paul in there? I mean, honest question. Honest question. Okay, something that we need to seriously ask, ask ourselves why. It is it is it is well known in church history that Marcion was the one who put together the New Test, put together Paul's letters and Luke, and called it the New Testament, and then he called everything else the Old Testament. 
And so there it started. As time went on, the church said, okay, well, you know, since Marcion is so wicked and evil, uh, well, we'll have to kind of, you know, we'll, we'll just, we'll just, uh, we'll, we need to put like, uh, we'll take the New Testament idea, but we're not going to, we're not going to throw out the New Testament. We'll just, we'll just add, you know, Matthew, Mark, John, we'll add the book of Acts in there. We'll add, um, we'll add first, second, third John in there. We'll add James in there. We'll add, you know, we'll add all those other books in there. Um, and, uh, and thus now we have the New Testament. In the book of Acts, Acts chapter 7, excuse me, 17, excuse me, Acts chapter 17. I'm, I'm kind of going off of memory here off the top of my head. Uh, Acts chapter 17, we have the account of Paul who went to Berea. And it says there were men in Berea who were noble men. They were honorable men, never said anything against them. God did not rebuke them in any which way, shape, or form. They were good men. How did they treat Paul? It says that they heard Paul out. They listened to Paul. But every day they, they it's like, it's like they, they say, okay, Paul, you know, we're going to take notes, Paul. All, every, every concept that you bring forth, we're going to, we're going to take notes. Okay. We're going to take notes and, and we'll get back to you, Paul, on that. Uh, and it says that they search the scriptures daily to see whether or not the things that Paul preached and taught was correct. That is the only way to tell if anybody is speaking from the Spirit of God, is whether or not it aligns with the previously accepted scriptures. The, the previous revelation, the revelation from the Torah, from the, from the, from the prophets, the revelation, the, the Word of God that has been true, uh, tested and tried and true. The Word of God that has that is that is trusted by people. That's why most Christians today, especially evangelical Christians, do not accept the Book of Mormon or the Book of, you know, the, the Mormon Bible, right? The Mormon Bible, what they do is they take a, a regular Bible and they just, they glue, they basically glue the Book of Mormon on the back of it and the Pearl of Great Price and Doctrines and Covenants. They, they, they basically add, it's an, it's like, um, it's like an, an, an amend, an amendment to the New Testament, okay? Most evangelical Christians would say, the Book of Mormon is not inspired. You'd ask them, how do you know? They would say, because it contradicts the previous scripture. So in the days of Paul, in the days of the Book of Acts, in order for anything to be accepted as true holy scripture, it had to be 100% in line with all of the previous revelations and scriptures. Which was what? The Tanakh, right? They didn't have the New Testament back in the book of Acts. The men of Berea did not have the New Testament. They did not have the, the letters of Paul. They'd, when it says they searched they searched the scriptures daily to see whether or not the things that Paul taught was of God, basically. Um, 
they wouldn't search Paul's letters to prove Paul. I mean, that's that's like circular reasoning. They would search, again, the New Testament didn't exist back in those days. So they searched the Tanakh. Like, okay, Paul, you say that the law is done away with? Let's see. <laughs> well, it says that 65 times that the law is eternal to be observed forever. What in the world are you talking about, Paul? I mean, I mean I'm just giving an, an example, okay? Just an example. Not that they, it's just, that's just an example. Um, so if Paul, notice I say, if Paul says anything or taught anything that is contrary to the Torah, to the prophets, then what he said, that particular concept, that particular pr principle, that particular teaching is wrong. Period. He has no authority to override God. He has no authority to override the, the words in red. If he said things that are in line with the Torah, in line with the prophets, in line with the words in red, then bless your heart off. Paul, bless you, Paul. So I do not look at the Bible as an idol, which most Christians do. It's an idol to them. What's in the Bible, it has to be inspired. The Bible is a library that was compiled by men. That's the truth. I'm not talking about any particular book of the Bible. That's a different story. I just made it very clear. The, the, the Torah, the law, the prophets are definitely of God. When it says, thus saith the Lord, that's within the quotes, that's what God said. Thus saith the Lord, quote and unquote. That is the word of God. That's what came from the mouth of God. Paul, neither does any of the prophets, by the way. No prophet, even Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, no, none of these prophets have any authority to override the previous scriptures, the previous word of God, such as back in the days of Isaiah, Jeremiah, even David when he wrote the Psalms, none of them had the authority to override and to cancel anything that Moses said. They didn't have that authority. God did not show up to them um, like he did with Moses. And God wouldn't contradict himself anyway. So even a prophet doesn't have the authority to override what it says in the Torah. That's why all of the prophets, like Isaiah it took the, it took years for them to be officially accepted as true prophets they weren't they weren't accepted immediately why because god did not show up on mount sinai or any other mountain for that matter uh publicly uh they didn't they did not have any of that th that kind of evidence that they were true prophets don't get me wrong i'm not saying they're not but you know what i mean at, at the time it's like Ezekiel comes out and says, I had a vision. It's like, okay, how do I? Okay, Ezekiel, um, we, need to, we need to test this, okay? You know, because uh, you, just, you just crawl out of your closet and say you had a vision. We need to test this. So they had to test these prophets. Come hell and high water through the thick and the thin over the years, over the years, they had to test their, their writings using every angle of scripture or every angle every point of view i should say they had to test these prophets they had to well what if they you know 
If they said this, is that true to the previous scripture? Is that true to the Torah? Okay, that's true. Well, what if we look at it this way? Is that true? What if we look at it the other way? Is that true? So they had to go through a lot of testing in order to be accepted as true prophets. And they were accepted as true prophets. When Paul comes around, well, let me just back up a little bit. Yeshua comes, okay? Jesus comes. And, um, and so he does the same thing. He preaches Torah. Everything he preached was Torah, okay? He didn't bring out any new concept, no new concepts whatsoever. Every concept that he taught was from the Torah. Even he, can I say this? I'll say it anyway. Even he does not have authority to override the word of his father. Even he does not have authority to override the Torah at all. If he did, he would be rejected and executed as per Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy chapter 13. Excuse me. Um, and so he came teaching Torah. He, he chose his, and he came as a rabbi. They called him rabbi. They called him rabbi. He was an Orthodox Jewish rabbi. He wasn't a Greek or an Italian cool hippie dude. He wasn't. He was an Orthodox Jewish rabbi. In fact, he looked so similar to everybody else and he spoke so similar to everybody else. A lot of times he was able to get through the crowd without anybody noticing. He walked along the road of Emmaus uh, with, with a couple of the disciples. And they didn't even know who he was. He was, he, he was very much, he looked very much, and he spoke very much just like anybody else. Um, but as a rabbi, as an Orthodox Jewish rabbi, and as what I believe from the school of Shammai, I know a lot of people believe he was from the, from the school of uh, Hillel, but from, uh, from the school of Shammai, he handpicked his, his students. Rabbi means teacher. Disciple means student. So he handpicked his 12 students. He, he chose for himself, just like how some you know universities today, you have to apply to become you know, a student at the university um, and they will accept you or reject you. Well, Jesus, he handpicked his students to learn from him. Shocker. Spoiler. <laughs> fact, he did not choose Paul at that time. He did not choose Paul to be his disciple to walk and talk with him in the flesh, to learn from him and to be trained by him like all the other 12 were. That's just a fact. So he had his 12 disciples that he chose to be hand, uh, he was handpicked disciples, handpicked students that he chose to train them face to face in the flesh, hands-on training in the mission field. And he also had people that tagged along with him, which were more or less the, um, what do you call it? The, um, when you call it, when, you, when you, you can actually, even today, you can actually go to a school, but you're not, you're not officially enrolled in that course. You are auditing the course. That's it. You are, you are, you are an auditor of the course, right? So you can go to a school, you're not officially enrolled as a student, so you're not going to get like the the, the degree at the end, right? You're, but you're you're going to sit through you're going to sit through the, the class, you're going to go through the program, you're going to get all the training as the rest of the, the disciples did. You're just not you're just not on paper, okay? It's just not in black and white, okay? It's just 
It's just not formal, but you have all the training. So you had all these auditors of the course that followed, that tagged along, right? Like Mary, like Joseph, like Matthias, Acts chapter one. People who have been with Jesus and his officially enrolled students from the baptism right through to the resurrection and the ascension. Paul was not there. And I believe for a reason. I believe it was God's plan. God in, in his divine in his divine wisdom and understanding, God knew that it would be good that Paul was not there. At the end, okay, at the end of the course, so to speak, Jesus died, he rose again, then he gave his 12 disciples the the commission, the great commission. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Okay, so he made them all, right there, they all became apostles to the Gentiles. Paul was certainly not the apostle to the Gentiles. Neither was he the only apostle to the Gentiles. Neither was he the first apostle to the Gentiles. No, he came later in the scene, way, way past. Years down the road, he'd come in, okay? Um, keep in mind that Yeshua told the 12 disciples to go into all the world and preach. Now, in, in Acts chapter 1, the idea was go into all the world and preach the gospel, go into all the Gentile nations, but first wait until uh, the promise of the Father. First wait until Pentecost, basically. Um, because, again, in context, if you read the context, Jesus is telling his disciples, I am sending you to, quote-unquote, all flesh. Not just Jewish flesh, but all flesh. And you have to wait until the anointing of all flesh come upon comes upon you. I need you guys to experience Joel chapter two, more or less. Okay, he didn't say it in those ways, in that, in those words, but he—that's what he meant. I need you guys to experience the outpouring upon all flesh. The spirit of God was out, was poured out on Jewish flesh right from the very beginning. Okay, all the way through the Tanakh, we see that. However, there was not that particular event when the spirit of God came and was poured out upon all flesh, not just Jewish flesh, but all flesh until Acts chapter two. And so Jesus was saying to his disciples whom he trained, he spent, you know, they typically say about three, three and a half years of training. They lived with him. They lived at the school. They lived at the school of Yeshua. They lived at the school of Jesus. They trained with him, hands-on training, face-to-face, -face, walking with him, talking with him. They had all the experience. They, they, they graduated from the course. So Jesus basically was saying in the Great Commission, he was basically saying, okay, you've got, you guys got the training. Congratulations, you guys passed. Now you are to take that training and put it to work. Okay, students, now you go out and do the work. Do the job now. I hire you to do the job. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. I spent all that time teaching you. Now it's time to put it to action. Okay? Go do it. Do it. But just wait until the Pentecost. That's all. I just want you guys to be there to receive that quote-unquote anointing, so to speak, to, to, see, to experience that outpouring. You need to be there for that. After that, go to all flesh because you've got the anointing for all flesh because you've been there when the Spirit of God was poured out upon all flesh. You need to see that. You need to, you need to experience that before you go out. So they went out. Now, typically speaking, um, I know they're, um, 
there last week uh, when I, we were speaking to the wagester. He said that his Schof Schofield Bible says that one year later, Paul was saved. I highly would highly question that because all of the other sources I've ever read, uh, all of the, you know, <laughs> from all the different scholarly articles and in, 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 from scholars, they would say anywhere from seven at the very earliest to like 15 years later. Paul got saved. So give or take a decade. So there's a, there was a decade of the disciples going out into all flat, into all the world, into the Gentile world, preaching the gospel before Paul even had any kind of experience, before he was on the scene at all. Paul came on the scene and according to the book of Acts, now again, this is according to the book of Acts. Acts was written by Luke, which was one of Paul's homies, which you got to take it and you got to take that into consideration. Read it with a grain of salt. I mean, uh, Luke is certainly not going to say anything against Paul. I mean, Paul, Luke has been, Luke is one of the only people that Paul could ever get along with. He couldn't get along with John Mark. He had to split from John. He couldn't get along with, uh, he couldn't get along with uh, Barnabas. I mean, they split. I mean, it seems like he couldn't get along with Peter. Uh, he, he didn't seem to be a very agreeable guy, a guy that he, that could get along with very many people. Okay. So, I mean, he went into, into Asia, Asia Minor, and he preached. That was his mission field for the most part, of, you know, a, 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 apparently apart from Rome. Um, most of his mission field was in Asia, um, Asia Minor. Okay. And then in 2 Timothy, he, he, he said to Timothy, he said, all of Asia has forsaken me. It's like, why did they forsake Paul? You've got to be humble. You've got to be, you got to put aside all of your Paul, you got to put aside all Paulian bias and you've got to ask good questions. His, get some good, we want, we want the historical truth here. We don't want the... We don't want to be swayed one way or another. We want the truth. Why did the Ephesians, why did all these people reject Paul? Now, don't put words in my mouth, but I will, I do have to submit something to you and I want you to judge. I'm not telling you, but I'm just, I'm laying this out. In in um, Revelation chapter two, Jesus spoke to the Ephesians long after the fact, okay? So they already rejected Paul, according to 2 Timothy. And he, and, and, and uh, Jesus said to the, um, to the Ephesians, you know, um, that, you know, this is what you, you have going in your favor, that you have, you have rejected those who called themselves apostles, but were not. Kudos to you guys. Again, you judge for yourself, okay? I have I have never said that we should reject Paul's letters. Okay. However, it's the question is what does it mean to be inspired? As I've said many times, I write songs. I have a guitar right beside me. There are many people have inspired me to write many songs. I've written many songs inspired by many different people. What does it mean? If John inspires me to write a song, what does that mean? Does that mean that think about this with think about this for a minute with me? If John inspires me to write a song, does that mean that John actually sits down with me beside me and grabs my arm, grabs my grabs my hand, put forces a pen in my hand and gets me to write every single word of John? Of course not. 
So inspiring somebody doesn't mean that they make them write every word of them, from them. So God can inspire someone to write a book. God, in, Actually, I can say God inspired me to write songs. Many songs, actually. Does that mean that every word that I wrote is actually the word of God? Even Paul said himself, let me just pull it up here. Even Paul said himself. Um, keep in mind, Paul, okay, let me back up a little bit. A prophet does not have, any of the prophets do not have authority to override what, what God has publicly established to be his word in the Torah. None of the prophets had the authority to do that. No prophet can have any authority to override the previous scriptures. No prophet has that authority. And Paul does not even claim to be a prophet. He claimed to be an apostle. It's not a prophet. A lot of, a lot of Christians, they think that they treat Paul as if he is a prophet. Like, oh, everything he said is from God. No, no. Now, let me be clear. Does that mean everything he says is not true? No. I'm not saying everything he says is false, but it's very clear. Even he himself, I'll show you in just a minute, just a second here. He himself said, he himself said that, that not everything he said is of the Lord. He himself said it. I mean, that's why I say, I believe that what I say about Paul, even Paul, I believe, if Paul knows what I'm saying, I believe Paul's going like this to me. Because there's too much Paul worship today. There's too much Paulianity. There's too much Paul idolatry, idolatry of Paul. We need to take him for what he really is. We need to we need to read his letters just like the the Bereans did. Like okay, so Paul taught you know two dozen different concepts here. So let's go back in the Tanakh. Let's go back in the Torah to see if it lines up with the Torah. If it doesn't. Sorry, Paul, you're wrong there. Does that mean everything he says is wrong? No, of course not. Does that mean we should throw out the Bible? <laughs> of course not. It's like going into, it's like saying, I found one sentence in one book of the public library of New York, and that one sentence was not true. Therefore, throw out the whole entire library. No, of course not. If there's one sentence in one book, in one huge, one of the greatest, biggest libraries in the world, it just that just means there's something wrong there that, sorry, but that author got that wrong. Does that mean we should throw out the whole entire library? No. Does that mean we should throw out the whole entire book? No. Okay, that's why I've always said, I don't, I don't, I've never said throw out any of the letters of Paul. Um, but even Paul said, and this is what I was getting at, even Paul said, This is 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 12. To the rest, I say this, I, not the Lord, not the Lord. I, I wish that a lot of Christians could actually, um, you know, uh, chant this for a little while, maybe, just in order for it to sink in. Not the Lord. I say this, not the Lord. I say this, not the Lord. I, not the Lord. Okay? So to anybody who says that everything that Paul wrote is the word of God, I would say it's not, and I believe Paul more than you do, because Paul made it very clear it's not the Lord. Now, don't get me wrong, Paul, I'm not saying that everything he wrote is not from the Lord. Don't get me wrong. Yes, he does bring some of the 
word of God in, in, his, in, his, in his letters. And keep in mind, Paul's letters weren't exactly that. They were Paul's personal letters to people. He never, ever thought of it being in a Bible. Never. When he sat down to write to Timothy and told Timothy, you know, about her grandmother that, you know, that uh, greet your grandmother, greet Aquila and Priscilla and go to the house of Carpus and, 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 and get my cloak that I forgot there. Man, I forgot it. And get my parchments too. I also forgot that mine. Absent-minded Paul that I am, go to Carpus, could you please? Was that God speaking to us today? Of course not. That's Paul's personal letter to Timothy. And Paul sometimes got it right, sometimes got it wrong. And if we know the scriptures well enough, we can confidently say that, yes, what Paul said here is right. And you know what? <laughs> Sorry, Paul, but you got that one wrong. Okay. That one's right. That one's not right. Uh, Paul never wrote his letter, any of his letters, to be in the same spirit or the same context or the same hierarchy as any prophet. You, you read, you read uh, Isaiah. You read, um, you know, Amos, like we just read there the other day. Amos. Uh, you read uh, Jeremiah and Hezekiah, um, Ezekiel, I should say. You read these prophets. And they speak in such a way. Thus saith the Lord. Quote, da -da 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 -da, unquote. The God of Israel spoke. You know, the Lord has spoken. Boom. Okay. Paul did not speak like that. He, didn't, he did not have the authority to speak like that. Never did. Never will. Acts chapter 1, uh, where they're looking for someone to replace Judas. Paul did not qualify, never did, never will. They said, well, we're looking for somebody um, uh, that, that has the experience, that has been with Jesus, that has been with us from the baptism of Christ all the way through to the death and resurrection. Eyewitnesses that have been trained, hands-on training like the rest of us have been, like the rest of us disciples, Peter, James, John, and the rest of them. Andrew, Philip, all these rest, all the rest of them. Thaddeus, Bartholomew. Okay. By the way, Bartholomew and Thad Thaddeus had way more authority than Paul ever had. Yep. Christians don't say much about them. If you say, oh, you know what? I think Th I think Thaddeus might have said something wrong sometime after, you know, in the no Christian's gonna jump on their backs. But if you say, I think Paul said something, oh Paul, oh no, Paul is the an angel. No, Paul is who he is, okay? Um, in, in, in Acts chapter 1, why did they have to have someone with experience, hands-on experience, to replace Judas? It's just common sense. They prayed about it. They cast lots, and, 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 and God showed them which, which one of the ones who audited the course. I mean, people that were there, people who actually walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, lived with Jesus, they audited the course. They weren't official. They weren't part of the official 12, but they were there. They got trained. Paul was not even nowhere to be found. He, he's completely out of the picture. Have has zero experience. Okay, zero. Matthias and Joseph were the ones that they said, hey, you know what? Out of all the people that were with us with Jesus, all low these many days, months, years, 
people that have been trained along with us, those who have audited the course, um, those who know and have and are eyewitnesses. Um, there's a lot of them, but I think that Paul, I think that Matthias and Joseph are probably the top ones. They're the ones that are the most knowledgeable, the best suited for the job, but we just don't know which one to take. And we don't know which one to, uh, to choose here. Is it Paul or excuse me, is it Matthias or Joseph? Both of them are equally good. Both of them have the equal experience. Eyewitnesses. And they did what, what, what the scriptures tell them to do, what the scriptures exemplify, okay? Pray and cast lots. That's how God showed his, that's how God chose between people in all of the rest of history. That's how God chose, that's how God made his choice between people and even animals known is by prayer and by the casting of lots. They knew that they did what was right. They were never rebuked for it. There's no evidence in history, in the, in the scriptures, or even in church history that Matthias was ever booted and replaced by Paul. Never, never. In fact, the opposite. There's church history that tells us that Matthias actually teamed up with Andrew and went north of the Holy Land to preach into Asia and into what is modern-day Russia. And of course, they went and they preached the gospel long before Paul was ever even on the scene. They didn't, they didn't reference Paul's letters. And in Acts chapter 15, when Paul finally came on the scene and he, was, he got back from preaching in the Gentile lands, in, in, in amongst the Gentiles, and, he, and it's like, well, do, do, what do the Jews or what do the Gentiles have to do to get saved? Do they have to obey the whole entire law? Do they have to get circumcised? Do, what do they have to do? Even Paul and Barnabas, they didn't have the authority to, 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 to call the shots. They did not have the authority to bring down the word of God and to call the shots. So they said, well, we got to escalate this to, to James, to Jerusalem, to the official disciples, to the original 12. We, gotta, we got to escalate this to the, to the authority because we're not authority. So they, brought the, so they brought the matter in Acts chapter 15 to Peter, which in turn to James, okay, Peter made his stand, okay? He said, God called me that by my mouth that the Gentiles would hear the gospel. James finally, as the leader of the church, as proven in church history and by, uh, by action in, in, in the book of Acts chapter 15 and in, in uh, chapter 21, James was the leader appointed by Jesus. That is in, in church history. That's also in Hegesippus. That's in the Clementine homilies. That's in the gospel of Thomas. Uh, that's it. We see that practiced in practice in, in Acts chapter 15 and Acts chapter 21. Because in both instances, when there were problems, Paul had no word in on the matter. They never gave Paul a word in edgewise, and rightly so. Paul didn't have the authority to say anything. He was just another guy who was there, okay? Um, and, and so... Look at how they treated Paul. And that's exactly how I look at Paul. I'm not looking to him, okay, for authoritative um, word of God that would, especially if that word would, would contradict anything that came before him. Now, I do quote Paul, and I did actually yesterday, I, I extensively quoted Paul 
in which I believe that Paul really got it right in many times, many, many places. I, I extensively quoted Paul. Why? Because Paul made it clear and it was in line with the Torah. Everything he said was in line with the Torah. And I knew my audience yesterday would be more along the Christian side of things. And so that's why I quoted Paul. If he said something that's right, I'm going to quote it. And I'm going to say, hey, well, look, at Paul said this. It's in line with Torah. Therefore, hey, I have no problem with it. If Paul says something that's not in line with Torah or questionable, then guess what? Sorry. Paul is just like the only thing that some people say, well, Paul, Jesus appeared to Paul and called him. Well, <laughs> welcome to the club. Jesus appeared to millions of people and called them. Well, Jesus, Jesus appeared to Paul, and Jesus hand-chosen, hand-picked Paul as, as an apostle. Welcome to the club. Jesus ap appeared and chose millions of people. There are lots of people that, 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 that said that Jesus appeared to them in a vision and called them to preach the gospel, thus making them an apostle. By the way, the word apostle does not mean anything special other than this something that's one that's sent. I don't like the way that the King James translated it. They, they, didn't really, they didn't really even translate the word apostle. They transliterated it, which makes it look a little bit fancier than it really is. Okay, the, the Greek word apostolos just means someone who is sent, an ambassador, someone who is, who is sent to do something. It's not, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't even mean that the person, if, you know, if, if you say, oh, you know what, um, Timothy is an apostle. Okay, fine. Well, he's, a, he's an, a legitimate apostle. Okay, fine. What does that mean? That just means that if he's a legitimate apostle, if that's true, that means that the Lord called him to do something, sent him somewhere to do something somewhere. That's all it means. It doesn't mean that Timothy actually obeyed it. It doesn't mean that Timothy actually did it. It doesn't mean that Timothy actually spoke the word of God at all. It doesn't mean that. It just means that Jesus called him to do it. Whether he did it or not, that's another story. Whether whether he spoke the word of God or not, that's another story. Um, let's take it for what it really is. Let's not read into it anything that it doesn't say. So, um, I know that was a long, I know that was a long answer, but I, I, I do believe there was a lot, there are a lot of people that needed to hear that as well because it was a very good question. So, um, yeah. So, Cindy, when you says uh, you said you know, please don't, please tell me you don't disregard Paul. He wrote two thirds of the New Testament. Yeah, again, New Testament. I do not idolize the New Testament. In other words, it, does, it doesn't matter whether, whether it's in the New Testament or out of the New Testament. The whole, the whole idea of the New Testament being put together was not of God anyway. It was of Marcion. Uh, it was of man. Uh, and, and, and thus it was put together by man. No, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that that doesn't mean that, that the New Testament isn't 100% true. That doesn't mean that the New Testament is not the word of God. What I said is I do not look at it. I don't think that it's, it's true, and I don't think that anybody that wants to look at it from a historical and an objective point of view should look at the New Testament as a work of God. I'm not talking about the books. 
in the New Testament. I'm talking about the structure, the canon, the choice of books in the New Testament. That's what I'm talking about. Because I do believe there are some books in the New Testament that are just absolutely gold. Just absolutely gold. There are some books that are, <laughs> um, well, I mean, let's put it this way. In amongst the, the 13 letters of Paul, okay, and this is something too. I mean, a lot of a lot of Christians understand that Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Here's another factoid, okay? Here's another fact. Most, if not all scholars, believe that approximately half, actually seven out of seven, let me put it this way, six out of 13 books, six out of the 13 Pauline epistles are not legitimately written by Paul. They are not written by Paul. Most scholars have concurred based upon paleographers who have studied the ancient languages and the ancient, um, the, the way that letters are written and, and the, the formation. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of knowledge that goes behind paleography. And so based upon paleography and scholarship, most scholars have concurred, do conclude that six out of the 13 letters that are purportedly written of Paul are not of Paul. They have been forged. Does that mean that I, I, I believe that? Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I do. I'm just giving you a fact. Okay? I'm just saying this is what most scholars believe. Is it true? Could be. Let me just, let me just explain this. One of the many things, don't get me, whenever I say one of the many things, people always try to attack that one, okay? Please, don't try to just attack this one. There are, look into the paleographic um, explanations of, in, in the evidence that they have. There are many, okay? Even if you shoot this one point down, you got a lot more to deal with, okay? Um, trust me, <laughs> I don't have the time or, the, or all the, you know, everything in front of me here now to go through all of it. But one of it, one of the points is the fact that you've got the earlier, well, it's historically, I mean, Marcion, for example, too. I mean, he goes back to the early second century and he included 10 of the letters of Paul, seven of which scholars say are legit. Okay. Um, but if you look at the entire scope of the 13 letters of Paul, you've got the earlier letters of Paul. And the later letters of Paul, the latter letters of Paul, okay? The letters of Paul that have been written earlier, the letters of Paul that have been written later, later on in his life. Like, for sure, like, you know, if 2 Timothy, for example, is legitimately written, like, if it's legitimately written by Paul, he makes it very clear, you know, I'm at the end of, I, I'm at the end of my life now. I'm at the end of my life. Um, you know, I'm about to, you know, I'm finished, so to speak. You know, uh, I've run the race. I've kept the faith, yada, yada, yada. But out of, out of all 13 letters, seven of them have a different tone than the other six. 
For example, I mean, we can get into a lot of stuff. I don't want to get into too much right now. I don't want to bore you, but just to give you some an idea, and maybe you can do your own um, do your own studies. I encourage you to do your own studies. Do your own studies. Like, study to show yourself approved, as Paul said, or at least as it attributed to him as, it, as if he said it. Um, study. God wants you to study. Jesus gave you, you know, he wants you to study. When you look at it, the, the seven letters that are considered to be the authentic letters of Paul have a different tone than the other six. For example, the, the seven have more of a tone like law is, no, we don't, we're not saved by the law. We don't go by the law. The law is done. It's by grace through faith alone. You know, um, who has bewitched you? Um, you know, it's not by the righteousness of the law, all of this kind of stuff. Whereas the later six doesn't say much about that at all. In fact, it's almost like, it's almost like the opposite. Like in Titus, right? In Titus chapter two, I believe it's verse 11, if my memory serves me correctly, where Paul's apparently Paul, supposed to be Paul, said, well, it's grace that teaches you to be godly, to live holy, righteously, godly in this present age. In other words, to obey the Torah. To do what's right. That sounds quite a bit different than Romans or Galatians, right? So there is a lot. If you look at, this is the problem. And it is a problem. The New Testament, the Bible, to have all the books put together in one book is a problem. It's not of God. It is not of God. It's of God to have them all separately for them each for each book to maintain its individuality so that people can look at it for what they really are like oh yeah the da daniel the book of daniel was written in exile in this particular place in this particular culture this particular time written by th this particular author whereas isaiah was in a totally different place at a totally different time and a totally different audience and you know and on and on it goes and oh yeah and the torah was written in a, it came to us in a completely different way with great power and great glory publicly for millions to see on Mount Sinai. Exodus chapter 19, all of that stuff. And to see each book as it is individual books is, is a great thing. But when, it, when it's all put together in one, it, it's very, very misleading. It makes people, it's bibliolatry. It, it's conducive to bibliology. Let me put it that way. It's conducive to people saying, hey, the Bible is perfect. It's all perfect because it's the word of God from cover to cover. Every single word in here is, is God's word for us today. And so they idolize. They make an idol out of this book. That's why I believe God did not come and write his own Bible and give it to us. He did not send an angel to write a Bible for us or a book. That's why Jesus did not write a book. That's why. Because he wanted, because he knew if he did, it would be I, I it would be an idol. It would be an idol. People would look at it as if it's an idol, like as if it's the perfect thing on, on earth. Bibliolatry is against God. The idolatry of a book is against God. We need to look at each book of the Bible as it was originally written in the same way and in the same context in which it was written. They each had their, 
We need to, each book should maintain its individuality. Each book of the Bible needs to maintain, actually, let me just say this, because we have Bibles so much anymore, the books of the Bible, each book of the Bible needs to have their Need to have needs to have its individuality restored, as it was in the days of Jesus. Jesus never said to anybody, "Oh, hey, you got Isaiah over here, you got the Torah over here, you got Ezekiel over there, you got the Psalms. Well, the Psalms is in the back room. Why don't you put it all here? I'll give you a list. Here, guys, here, guys, sit down, sit down, guys. I'll give you a list. I'll give you a list of sixty-six books, and you put it all together in one book and call it the Holy Bible. Never." Never, never. It's against the word of God. It's against the ways of God. It's against the heart of God. Marcion started it all. It robs people of their of their of good critical thinking in, in, in looking at each book of the Bible for what it is. It's separate, written by different authors, written in different ways by different people in different times, different cultural contexts. There are dynamics to Scripture. It's not all static. It's not all overly simplified. And you know what? When it comes to Paul, I'll say this. I'll say this. The only thing Paul has over Who, who should I say? <laughs> who should I say? The only thing Paul has. Okay, I'll I'll give Paul some extra credit here. Okay, the only, I'll I'll give Paul some extra prestige here. Okay, I'll I'll get I'll I'll be extra gracious to Paul here. The only thing Paul has over Billy Graham is the fact that that Paul lived in in the late second century or the late first century, and he was able to. Talk to some of these disciples, albeit he didn't talk very much, and he even bragged about not talking about talking to them very much in Galatians chapter one, Galatians chapter two, which is very weird. Um, he, at best, at best, if you want the best case scenario with Paul, at best, he is just like another Billy Graham. He wasn't there when Jesus walked this earth. He wasn't there with Jesus. He didn't get the training. He didn't have the experience. He wasn't there. He wasn't an eyewitness. He was only somebody who got a vision of Jesus like millions of other people have claimed later on. And thus he wrote personal. He went on his journeys to preach his gospel. Not Nobody, not even James, Peter, James, or John, or any of the 12. Not even Jesus ever used that kind of terminology my gospel it's it's my gospel this my gospel that only paul spoke like that why 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 would he do that perhaps his gospel was different than the other gospels so um I accept 
or reject. Let me just say, the idea of accepting or rejecting Paul to me is ridiculous. It's just like, do you accept Billy Graham? Do you reject Billy Graham? So what do you mean to accept or reject Billy Graham? Like Billy Graham is Billy Graham. He said some good things. He said some things I don't agree with. What do you mean? I don't. It's not about accepting or rejecting like that. It's like, well, you know, did Billy Graham say anything out of line? Is any of his books got? You know, is, is there one one phrase that he says that's not the word of God? If if it is, we'll, we'll reject him. No, I, that's not how I look at it. I look at Paul just like how I look at Billy Graham. I look at Paul just like I look at Clement, okay, in the second century. The early church fathers. In fact, God knows Paul should have been included in the early church fathers, not in the New Testament. The early church fathers said a lot, some of them are really good, some of them are not so good. Some of them said a lot of good things. Some of them didn't say some very good things. Okay? Same with Paul. Same with Paul. Some of the things he said, uh, <laughs> I tell you one thing, like I've said many times, you know, if I die and go to heaven and see Paul there, and Paul's there, I would say, Paul, it's an honor and privilege to meet you, Paul. It's a wonderful privilege. But why? Why did you write what you wrote? He would probably say, why did they put it in the Bible? Why did they idolatry, you know, idolatrize it? <laughs> idolatry. Why did they make an idol out of it? That's probably what he would say to me. I would say, Paul, why did you write what you wrote? He'd be like, why did they even make it into an idol? Why did they even say it's the word of God? I'm just Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'm the least of all the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle. And then there's the 12. He spoke about the 12 like a third party, and rightly so. The, the, the 12 is not, he's not part of the 12. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he said, you know, I accept or reject Paul just as much as I accept or reject any of the early church fathers or any of the preachers today. If what they say is in line with the Tanakh, if it's in line with the Torah, if it's in line with the prophets, awesome. I'll quote you. Just like how I quoted my ex, my, my old pastor there. Just what was it, a couple like an hour ago, a couple hours ago, I quoted my old pastor. Some of the things that he said. Although I disagree with a lot of things that he said, he did say some some things that are very good, and and I quote him, and I think that I I still I give him credit where credit's due. I think that's awesome things what he said. You know, remember the Holy Spirit is a Holy Spirit, and if you want to hear the voice of God, ask God to show you your sins for the purpose of repentance. Awesome, beautiful, that's God. I love it. So I accept Paul. The only thing that Paul has over a good pastor today would be that he lived during that time. When he he lived during the time of the end, the part, you know, the last part of the the last chapter, as if you will, of the life of the disciples. Although I still think that he really made a big mistake in not spending much time with the apostles, the, the, the original disciples, I should say. There's a difference between apostle and disciple, by the way. 
when I say 12 disciples, I'm talking about the original 12 apostles. There are millions of apostles, but there's only 12 disciples. I mean, hands-on disciples anyway. I mean, we're all disciples of Jesus in a way. You can all, you can all say we're disciples of Jesus, Yeshua, indirectly, so to speak. Okay. I mean, through the, through the scriptures, um, that kind of thing, but face-to-face, hands-on, living and talking with Yeshua in the flesh, there's only 12 disciples, formal disciples. Then there's the auditors of the course, right? <laughs> um, so that's how I look at it. I think that the whole idea of accepting Paul versus rejecting Paul is the, is the wrong way of looking at it. I think we should say, okay, what part of what he said? Okay, that's that's more... That's more like it. Like take one concept that Paul preached and ask me if I accept it or reject it. I'll give you a clear, I'll give, I'll give you a clear answer. I'll give you a really clear answer. If you just tell me, do you accept a whole do you accept Paul or reject Paul? It's like that. Well, it's like, do I accept Billy Graham? Like what what kind of it does like that to me it's like invalid question. <laughs> do I accept do I accept Polycarp or do I reject Paul? It's like, what is this? It's like it's just like is this like the religion of Polycarp where I have to go forward and accept Polycarp? Like, no, it's like, well, what what, what part of him are you talking about? What did he say? Then, then we'll talk about that. If Paul said something, give me a verse or a concept or a passage where Paul wrote where Paul wrote and say, hey, Christopher Enoch, do you accept this or do you reject this? Do you accept this as truth or do you reject this as something that's not true? Then I can give you a clear answer. I'll say, okay, that what Paul wrote is right on. Love it. Cool. Awesome. Or what Paul wrote there. Sorry, Paul. Um, and again, when Paul wrote, when Paul sat down with his quill and wrote on his parchment personal letters to Philemon, to Timothy, to Titus, if he actually wrote those letters, which a lot of scholars don't believe that he wrote it. Um, then he did not write it as if he was a prophet. Thus saith the Lord to the people of Israel. No, he wrote it one to one, and sometimes one to a group, like to the to the to the saints in in Ephesus, to the saints in Galatia. You know, it's like well, he went to Galatia and he met these people. I don't know how many they were. I don't know if there was a few, a handful, maybe. I don't know, and so. He met them, he enjoyed their presence, he fellowshiped with them, and then later on he sat down and wrote a letter to them, a personal letter. Somehow people raided the mailbox and and uh, somehow they got a hold of Paul's personal letters and they um, copied them and 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 copied them until finally we got what we got today. I think he would I think Paul would be appalled, pun intended. Uh, at the fact that people view him as a prophet today. Like he is some person that brings, like like Isaiah, like brings the, everything he wrote is the word of God kind of thing. I think that he would be a very, I think he'd be upset with that. I do think so. I, I think he would say, well, pff, I'm just a man. Like, look at look at how in, in, in Acts chapter 15, they didn't even, they didn't even, I mean, they were talking about what, like the, the Gentiles, like what do the Gentiles need to do for salvation? What, like what, what, what's required of them? Yada, yada, yada. Um, and look how they, like, they didn't even ask me. That goes to show you 
how much they trusted him as the apostle to the Gentiles. Acts chapter 21, he got in a lot of trouble. Paul got in a lot of trouble. Now, that brings me back to this, this point here. Why is it that the first seven letters of Paul are a lot different than the last six? Now, could it be that the scholars are right, that the last six are forged in the name of Paul, that they're not really from Paul at all? It's a forgery, which they claim was a common practice back in those days, okay? It's not it's not like, it, like today is looked at as, as something that's more hideous and more evil than it, it was back in those days. It's like, uh, from what I understand, historically speaking, back in those days, it was a common practice to forge, to say, well, what would Paul say? What do I think what Paul would say? So I would I wrote as if I was Paul. I, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ to Titus. Like I'm speaking for Paul. Um, so we got two, only two things, only two explanations for this. Because the first seven is a lot different than the last six. Okay? That's a fact. Talk to your paleographer if you if you doubt me. That's a fact. Read it. Study it. It's a fact. The question is why? Why are these letters different? There's only two ways. There's only two things. Only two things it could be. Number one, perhaps the, the scholars are right. Maybe it wasn't Paul that wrote the last six. Maybe it was someone who forged an, an anonymous Joe Blow who forged that letter in the name of Paul. Or the only other option is this, Paul repented. In Acts chapter 21, he was faced with a very, it was a turning point for him, could have been, I mean, at least. I mean, he was, he came back from preaching the gospel to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 21. And he came back to his mother church, to the mother church, so to speak, in Jerusalem. As always, again, he doesn't have authority to, he just comes back, he reports back to his superiors, to Peter and James. Okay? And so he comes back, and Peter and James are like, you know, Paul kind of like bursts in the door, and Paul's like, hey, guys, you know, guess what happened, man? We got Gentiles that are receiving the gospel, the word of truth, and I'm preaching the word to them, and they're, you know, they're repenting of their sins, and they're believing in, you know, the Messiah and all this kind of thing, and he's all excited. He's all excited. He's like stoked. And then Peter and James are like, praise God, Paul. But, but Paul. We need to have a word with you. There's a problem, Paul. There's a problem. We hear we hear rumor that you preach against the Torah and against the tradition of the Jews, the traditions of the Jews, and so, and against you know against against Moses. We hear this rumor. Is that true, Paul? And Paul is like, I mean, he doesn't really respond really in that. I can see him probably going like, and he's and they're like, okay, okay, Paul, listen, um, you need to prove, okay, Paul, you need to prove that those things are just rumor. There's nothing to it, but it's just rumor. Uh, that this is just rumor, and um, 
There's no truth to that at all. There can't be any truth to that, Paul. There can't be. My question is, why would they say that in, in Acts chapter 21? Could it be that they got a hold of the book of Galatians? Could it be that they got a hold of one of the letters of you know Paul to Romans, Corinthians? Why could why was it that they confronted him like that in Acts chapter 21? So the idea, so they say, okay, Paul, you've got to prove that you walk orderly and you also keep Torah. You you have to prove to these people. Otherwise, man, you, you're, in, you're in big trouble. You have to prove that this is not true. It can't be true. Man, you're just Paul. You're just Paul. This can't be true. You can't be saying stuff like, you know, that you're not saved by the righteousness of, of the law. You can't be saying stuff like, you, you, I, mean, I mean, they didn't say it in those words, but I mean, you can't be preaching against the Torah. Okay, Paul, if you really, listen, Paul, we have a suspicion that this might be true, but it, we'll test you, Paul. We'll test you. The only way to prove that you are not anti-Torah is to take the vow. <gasps> the vow. Really? The vow. What are, you, what are you talking about, the vow? In context, we're talking about the vow of the Nazarite and Numbers chapter 6. Okay? In the vow, this is how it works, okay? In the Torah, in, 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 in the Jewish world, okay? So you have, you are either Torah observant or you are, you are, like, you are in line with Torah. That's, that's, that's all cool. That's good. That's great. You're, you're good. You're, you're, you're good to go. You know, all that's good. But there is an optional level. There is an optional level of being extra holy, if you will. The turbo boost of holiness. Okay? That extra level is the vow. The vow of the Nazarite. There are extra stipulations, such as you cannot drink anything from the fruit of the vine. You cannot eat grapes. You cannot even eat the grape skins, the grape seeds. Uh, grape juice, wine, you cannot touch um, anything that has died. Uh, you, you, ha you, you, ha you must grow your hair long um, during your, your vow. Uh, and there are a few other stipulations as well. So basically the vow of the Nazarite was the extra, for the most part, it was optional for people to take. You didn't have to take it. There were some people that it was mandatory, like Samson, for example, John the Baptist, okay? I do believe that Jesus actually was uh, that actually was under the vow of the Nazarite too. That's another story, but I do believe that he was too. Why not? I mean, if there was anybody that was supposed to be extra holy, it should be him. And so the extra holy people would take the vow of the Nazarite. It, the vow of the Nazarite simply means this. It means you obey the Torah plus you go over and above you do all the other stipulations of the vow of the Nazarite too. So typically speaking, it's it's an optional thing. Now, even in today's world, in, in the Orthodox Jewish world, you can take the vow of the Nazarite. And typically speaking, now this is not in the actual scriptures it's themselves, but traditionally speaking, um, 
you can take it for however long you want to take it. Traditionally, it's usually about a it's at least a month. You can take it for two, three months, two, three years, two, three decades, whatever you want to do. Um, it's just that extra dedication to the Lord. But it's very costly. It, 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 it'll cost you almost everything. How? Well, first of all, it's, it's, it's not that. I mean, you got extra stipulations. You got extra laws to, to adhere to. And then you have to perform the sacrifices. You have to do the sacrifices, the animal sacrifices, the offerings, which are the animal sacrifices. Okay? And they are very costly. Today, even animal, if you were, if you were to go out and buy an ox or buy a cow, buy a, buy a lamb, it's not like, you know, you can't buy them at the dollar store, right? They're, they're costly, thousands of dollars sometimes, okay? Hundreds of dollars, but you're not going to buy something like that for a sacrifice. You want the best, so it's going to be it's going to be very costly. In fact, it was so costly in, number, in Leviticus chapter 5, it says if you can't afford to buy a lamb, you can buy two turtle doves, pigeons or turtle doves, and that's why uh, Joseph and Mary bought turtle doves uh, in the book of Luke, because of, well, apparently they could not afford to buy a lamb. They didn't have the resources for that, for their offering. Um, so it was, it was, uh, it, it was expensive. It, it was a sacrifice. So to take the vow of the Nazarite cost you a lot in every which way possible. But they said to Paul in Acts chapter 21, you should take the, in order to prove that you're not against, in order to prove that these rumors that you're preaching against the Torah, that you, you know, that you're preaching against Moses, that you're preaching against, uh, you know, the, the traditions of the Jews and so on and so forth. In order to prove that, you need to take the, take the vow, Paul. Are you sure? Put your, put your bank book, put your money where your mouth is, Paul. If it's true that you're not preaching against that, Go out and do the do the vow. Mm -hmm, yeah, it'll cost you, Paul. And not only will it cost you, not only will it cost you dearly, but it will cost you dearly times five. Because we want you to, you know, if you if you if you really want to prove it, Paul, we want you to prove it by taking the vow for yourself, which means you need to you need to pay and buy the, the offerings, the animal sacrifices for yourself and for other men. In Acts chapter twenty one. Paul must have been a very rich guy. My theory is, now I'm not saying it's 100%, but perhaps the reason why there is so much difference in writing style before between the first seven letters and the last six is between the first seven and the last six was Acts chapter 21, where Paul was... <laughs> he got in trouble, lots of trouble, almost like a fine, heavy fine. And so he put, maybe he thought, okay, I'm not doing that again. I'm not writing the book. I'm not saying what I said to Galatians ever again. No way. I'm not doing that ever again. I'm going to write, you know, like Titus, like uh, to Titus, that the grace of God teaches you to be godly, to be righteous, to do what's right. Now, it's only one of those two things. It's only... It, what, other, what other options do we have? It's either Paul only wrote the first seven letters and the other seven or the other six are forged, or he changed his writing style drastically. So much so that it convinced the paleographers, 
those who study the practice of writing and study the ancient writing practices and ancient ancient writing con, con, uh, conventions so much so that they that that it it it, it convinced the paleographers that it's actually a different author different authors there's no other there's no other way about it really what what other choice do we have why how else could paul have could the first seven letters be so different than the, than the last six And this is very good, uh, fearful and confident. I find it interesting. The New Testament never claims to be the Word of God. <sighs> there are a lot of things in the, in the Bible that doesn't, you know, people don't realize that they're believing man, they're not believing God. Even, the, even to, the, to say that the Bible is the Word of God. God never said that. He doesn't say that in the Bible. But 66 books, that's all. There's no more, no less. Where did God say that? God didn't say that. Church tradition said that. Okay. And there were different church traditions over time. Okay. Different church traditions. Um, let me just pull up here. I'm going to, for those of you who are on YouTube, I'm going to show you guys. Um, these are the different, this is something you can get from Wikipedia, by the way, Bible canon or biblical canon. Okay. It's a chart of the different Bible canons from the, uh, by different churches. Now this is all within, I mean, okay. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, when I say Bible canon, I'm talking about the actual list of books that are in the Bible. That's what I'm talking about. So we got two different Bible canons means that one Bible has books that the other Bible does not have. Okay. So here's a chart. You can find this on Wikipedia, biblical canon, a chart of the different Bible canons uh, across the spectrum of different Christian churches and the and through uh, Judaism. So on the far right, I, I apologize. I know this is very difficult to read, especially if you're on a mobile device. For those of you who are on YouTube, but uh, on the far left-hand side, you have all of the books of the uh, Tanakh, okay? And uh, across the columns, you have the different churches or different religions. For example, the, the, the leftmost one, like over here, is Judaism. Uh, but the other ones are actually Christian, okay? Uh, Nonconformist Protestant, Lutheran, Anglican, Roman Catholic, Greek Orthodox, Slavonic Orthodox, uh, Gregorian, uh, excuse me, Georgian Orthodox, Armenian Orthodox, Syriac Orthodox, Coptic Orthodox, Tawahedo Orthodox, Assyrian Church of the East, and the ancient Church of the East. Now, each one of these churches, how many of them? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. Each one of these different denominations have different books in their Bible. Okay, different books in their Bible, and it's spelled out for us there um, on this uh, in this article. Okay, so thirteen different. Who's to say? 
which Protestant which Protestant can say, well, our list of 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 books is the is the uh, perfect list of books, whereas you guys in the uh, Tawahedo Orthodox, no, you have the wrong list. Who's to say that? Who can say that? Nobody has the right to say that. Nobody has the right to say that. Now go down. This is the Tanakh, right? This is the so-called Old Testament. Now this is the, let me see. This is the New Testament down here. Uh, I'm going to, let me just zoom in a little bit for easy. Oh, sorry. A little bit easier for you guys to see, hopefully. Um, so this, oh, no, no, I'm lost. Where are we? Here it is. New Testament. So we have seven different churches. Protestant, Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, Armenian Orthodox, Coptic Orthodox, Tawahedo Orthodox, Syrian Orthodox. Each one of these churches have different books in their New Testament. For example, the early the early tradition of the Armenian and the early tradition of the Syriac had a book called the Acts of Paul and Thelka, the Thecla, excuse me, the Acts of Paul. Paul <laughs> tongue twisted now. The Acts of Paul and Thecla. Okay, that's a book that was in the early Bibles of the Armenian Church and the Syriac Church. Third Corinthians was in. Uh, the the early Bible of the Syriac Church, the Paul's letter to the Laodiceans, which we don't see anymore, was included in the um, in some of the manuscripts. Wait a second, from the uh, Wycliffe uh, Protestant and Roman Catholic Bibles. Um, and then we have lots of these other books that are only included in the Ethiopian Tawahedo uh, tradition, such as the Sinaitos, two Sinaitos, different books. Um, the Actually, excuse me, more than that. One, two, three, four different of the Sinaitos. Uh, we have the Book of the Covenant, which is the Mashafa Kidon. And Mashafa, another uh, book of the covenant number two. We got the Ethiop Ethiopian Clement, Ethiopian Didascalia. So all these are in the New Testament of the Ethiopian Orthodox Church. And that's not to even mention the fact that the oldest Bible that we have on earth, the Codex Sinaiticus, has a diff have, have different books in the New Testament too. What happened to them? Why did the Bible publishers just, why did it slip through their fingers? There are different theories out there, but again, Bible canon is not of God. We should read and believe and understand each, every book for what it really is. We should not try to carve an, an idol, i.e. Bible canon. Period. End of story. Oh yeah, we got. I get, I'm sorry, I got so much. I got so much going on here in the live chat that I, there are probably hundreds that I can't even get to. I can't scroll up. Much of this, I'm sorry. I if, if you have any questions, um, for me and I didn't get to them, my apologies. Please label it with at Christopher, 
I'll have to just read those ones because just so much going on here. Question for Move says, uh, Paul was a Pharisee. Now, okay, so there is question about that as well, okay? Now, for example, um, there are people today, Pharisees today. By the way, I'm not sure if, if y'all are aware of this or not, but there are Pharisees today. Pharisees are still in existence today. Um, one of them... Um, uh, actually, um, actually, I, I'm not going to. I'm not going to mention any names, but there are some. There are Pharisees today. In fact, um, a lot of people believe that the Orthodox, Orthodox Jewish, Orthodox Jews are the mod are, are Pharisees. That's Pharisees have have uh, evolved into what is today is Orthodox Jews. Um, and so, a lot of people question whether Paul was a Pharisee, whether or not Paul even. Uh, See, back in those days, Pharisee was was very highly regarded. It was like a it was a social status of uh, of high regard. Um, even in the Book of Acts, it says that when Paul and Barnabas and others, uh, Titus and so on, came to Jerusalem to escalate their their concerns and their questions to Peter and and James, and they made there was the Council of Jerusalem, so to speak, in Acts chapter fifteen. It says the Pharisees were there too. The Pharisees were involved. Pharisees were there. They were there with the Pharisees. They were pretty much fellowshipping with the Pharisees. Um, people believe. Again, don't put words in my mouth, but I'm just telling you. This is a fact, and I think everybody should be aware of this fact. And it's something that should be considered and should be on the table. There are there is the argument that Paul was not a Pharisee. He just used that as a as a as leverage. Social social leverage, uh, and the proof of that is that Pharisees do not kill Christians. <laughs> Pharisees, um, where does it say in the Torah to kill Christians? Where? If Paul was a real true Pharisee, why was he doing what he was doing? Furthermore, Paul claimed, actually Paul didn't claim, Luke claimed it, Paul didn't claim it. Luke claimed in Acts, in, in the book of Acts, that Paul studied under Gamaliel which was the head of the Pharisees of the book of, of the school of Hillel. Okay? I personally believe that, that Jesus was of the school of Shammai, or at least more Shammai-ish, versus um, being of the school of Hillel. That could explain why Paul was so different than Yeshua, so different in his teachings from Yeshua, was so more liberal, because the... Uh, the Hillelites, if you want to put it that way, the 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 Pharisees from the school from the school of Hillel were more liberal, way more liberal than the uh, the Pharisees of the school of Shemai. Um, but even the even the whole idea that Paul was brought up on you know at the feet of Gamaliel, that Paul was a student of Gamaliel, was very highly challenged too, as well. You need to keep that in mind. Like for example, Gamaliel clearly taught. Early on, he clearly taught, do not persecute the Christians. Leave them alone, Acts chapter 5. Leave them alone. If what they're doing is of God, it, it will stand, and you are, you're just going to end up fighting against God. It's not going to work. If what they're doing is not of God, it'll fall anyway. Don't worry about it. Just leave the Christians alone. What did Paul do? 
by his own admission, he persecuted the Christians unto death. The exact opposite to what Gamaliel taught. So a lot of people question, say, Paul was definitely not a, a, a student of Gamaliel. At least if he was, he was definitely not a very good one. He disobeyed Gamaliel, obviously. Um, and some people believe that Paul wasn't even a Pharisee. And if he was from Tarsus, how could he be? I mean, I guess it's possible for him to be a Pharisee from Tarsus, but I mean, it's not like he was Paul from Jerusalem or Paul from Bethlehem or Paul from Judea or Paul from Judah. Would he still be picked as a disciple? No, I do not believe so. Uh, because of the fact that I don't, I believe that it was, it was Jesus. I believe it was God's will for him not to be a legit 12 disciple part of the 12 disciples because of how much idolatry we have today already. We have so much idolatry, idolatry of Paul. It's just absolutely ridiculous. And it would be even way more than it is now if, if Paul was part of the 12. Going nowhere says, uh, what did Jesus mean when he said in John 10, 30, I and the Father are one? Again, uh, we've got to take gospel John with a grain of salt, okay? Much of what the, they say, 93% of the gospel of John is nowhere else to be found. There's no other witness to it. Um, lots Again, any questions when it comes to the gospel of John should be, should be a disclaimer on it saying, uh, yeah, it's the Gospel of John. Take it for what it is. Um, and again, going nowhere, I'm not sure if you heard all the different videos that we did on the Gospel of John. If not, please go back and listen to them. So I don't want to repeat myself on that. All things considered, let's just say Jesus said this 100%. This is what he said. I and the Father are one. If he said that, why didn't Matthew write about it? I mean, why didn't Mark write about it? Why didn't Luke write about it? What, they forgot about it? Um wasn't important for them, for anybody to know during their lifetime, uh, uh, or it was just something that uh, wasn't historically accurate. But let's just assume it's historically accurate, okay? I and the Father are one. So it also says in the scriptures that when a husband, when a man marries a wife, they become one. Does that mean they are the same person? No. Does that mean they have the same authority? No. So that's how I would answer that going nowhere. Thank you for your question. Very good question. Vinny says, I hope one John is not here today. I hope he's okay. Yes, I, I hope he's okay as well. I did actually send him a message there not too long ago, and I hope he... If you get that, if you responded, I don't know if you responded yet or not. Okay. Going nowhere says, uh, is there such thing as righteous anger? Can a Christian display righteous anger? Yes, yes, absolutely. Righteous anger, being, right, being angry about something that's sinful... However, I do have to say you have to be very careful when it comes to righteous anger because don't, as it says, even Paul said this, okay? I'm quoting this. I'm quoting Paul. Um, 
because it's good. Okay. It's good. He said, in your anger, do not sin. Right. So it's, it's important to, to control yourself, right? Self-control. It's good. Righteous anger is good. Okay. But in your anger, do not sin. That's all I got to say about that. So very good question going nowhere. Jamie said, uh, you should say that more early. Um, you should say that more. I treat Paul like the early church fathers. That makes sense. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you. Um, I will. Very well. Very good. Thank you for. For that. Yeah, I see a lot of people, they get the idea just because, because you know what? You know what it is? It's because they've been taught all their life that Paul is like, you know, it's like, then Paul is like Jesus, right? I mean, in a way, like, you know, and their bibliolatry and, you know, they understand a lot of things. And so when I say, when I even question Paul, not to say that he was even wrong, but just to even question him, they're like, whoa, whoa, you're, you're, it's like totally wrong. You're blasphemous. You're, you know, how dare you say that? And so the thing is, and this is, it, I, it's, I look at it like a pendulum. It's like the pendulum swung far too, it, it's, it swung too far in one direction. I'm just pulling it back the other direction. People think that I'm pulling it back all the way, but no, I'm looking at, I want to have, my goal is to have a very healthy and balanced point of view. Going nowhere says, what are some things Paul said that you do agree with? Um, I, I quote I quote them all the time um, going nowhere everything that I quote of Paul um, and I do it almost every probably every live stream that I do I quote Paul like I just did right <laughs> um, and every time I quote Paul uh, if I quote Paul on these things it's because you know I, I agree with it and I like it and I think that what he said is right um, not that everything he says right okay but but uh, but yeah like what if he says something that's good and Something that people need to hear, I quote it. Just like I quoted that uh, old pastor of mine. Billy says, um, my friend says sarcastically, thank God, thank God Almighty that he sent Paul to clarify what Christ himself could not. That's about it, isn't it? That's about it. That's how people look at it. Yeah. Okay, Karina says in Matthew 5, when Yahusha was speaking in verse 22 and 28, was this a reference to Proverbs 24, verse 9? Okay, so um, let's just take a look at Proverbs 24, verse 9. You'd, you'd be surprised too as well as how many times Jesus, Yahusha, Yeshua, uh, reference the Apocrypha too and the Pseudepigrapha. It's amazing how many times. Okay, so um, let me just share my screen. 
on the left side, I have Proverbs 24, verse 9. I'm just going to pick, pull out the other verse or the other scripture here on the right side. Matthew, a little bit slow here. Okay, Sergeant, I'll get to you in just a minute there, Sergeant. Um, yeah, so Matthew chapter 5, verses 22. Um, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be answerable to the court, and whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing... Uh, shall be answerable to the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Um, Proverbs 24, verse 9, the, devise, the devising of foolishness is sin, and the scoffer is an abomination to humanity. Well, yeah, um, I mean, this this last part, scoffer is an abomination to humanity, uh, I, you know, that would apply, you know, to, to a, to a degree there in, in verse 22. Now going to verse 28, um, it says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust in, uh, for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Uh, wait a second. Is that 28? Okay. Um, the devising of foolishness is sin. Yeah, very good, very good. Um, yeah, because the devising of foolishness, uh, very good, very good uh, point for sure. Yes, I would say. I I wouldn't say for sure that that was a reference, a direct reference, but definitely it's that that particular concept was was uh, was what. Yeshua was talking about. Yeah. Very good. Excellent. So, Sergeant, um, I can't come on now, but I need prayer for my son's healing. He isn't feeling well, and I've been asked to speak at a local Christian church tomorrow. Uh, I'll need prayer for, for, for set-apart spirit. Yeah, okay. So let's do this here. Um, we'll pray. And uh, very shortly, I'm, I'm going to wrap this up, but we're going to pray this. We'll pray for Sergeant and his son, his son's healing. And um, and yeah, so everyone within the sound of my voice, we, I, I am, excuse me, I am um, streaming live on Podbean as well as on TikTok and as well as on several other different platforms as well. So everyone, everyone within the sound of my voice, every one of you that consider yourselves to be a believer uh, let's join in prayer. So, Father, we thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you, Father, for your blessings upon us. Thank you, Father, that you've brought us even another Shabbat, another time of fellowship, and another time of just you know talking about this and chatting about uh, your the scriptures and about truth and about about Yeshua. Thank you, Father, for for another day that you've given us. We rejoice and we are glad in it. And so, Father. We come before you with humility and 
with praise. You are righteous. You are holy. As Daniel's prayed, you are the great and awesome God. You who keep your covenant of love with those who love you and those who follow your commands. Holy is your name. Father, we ask you that you would have mercy upon Sergeant R's son, that he would be healed and that he would be feeling better from this point on. Father, send your spirit, send your angels, do whatever needs to be done there. Have mercy, Father. And Father, let let uh, Sergeant R uh, have a wonderful time uh, at the church tomorrow where he was invited to speak. Give him wisdom and revelation. Let your words be in his mouth. We spoke earlier about prophesying. Father, let the spirit of prophecy be upon him, even if he doesn't even realize it. But Father, let him be a vessel through which you can speak to the, especially to the leadership of this church. Father, put on his heart and on his mind the things that the people need to hear. Give him wisdom to say what he should say, not to say what he shouldn't say, the wisdom to deliver the message in the right way, the best possible way for it to be delivered. And give him the knowledge that he needs to have a wonderful, successful time tomorrow in speaking at this church and that he would have a set apart spirit, a spirit that would be uh, evident to all, a spirit that would be glorified in the hearts and minds of all the people who look upon Sergeant R. They would say, I want what he has. I want what, ha- what he has. And, and Father, let, let it be that whatever word you give him, let it be a word that would draw the people out from uh, out from the world, so to speak, figuratively speaking, and to be set apart themselves, to be holy. In the name of Yeshua of Nazareth. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. Someone on TikTok, and I know this could have been an old comment, and I apologize if it was. I'm not sure if you're still here or not, but uh, the question is, what about James the Just the brother of Jesus, very, very, very important, a very um, wonderful man. Um, people need to know about him more than they need to know about Paul, honestly, in my opinion. But yeah. James the Just, the brother of James, I believe was the leader of the church after Yeshua left the scene. Uh, James took over. Awesome. What an awesome man of God. Okay, so that'll be it for for today. Um, The Great Deception says, thank you, brother. Much love and blessings to you all. Thank you as well. Much love and blessings multiplied back to you. God is King774 on TikTok says, Amen, Lord. Yes. And Sergeant R says, hallelujah, absolutely, amen to that, for sure. Be blessed, be blessed, brother. Let me know how it went. I'm talking as if it's in the future, but let me know how it goes, okay? (laughs) So, uh, yeah, awesome. You guys are awesome. Matthew says, uh, bye, Christopher. You know, this was an amazing stream. Thank you very much, uh, Kat Cool. I appreciate you. And all of you that are on here. Great deception. Hallelujah. Yes. Amen. Yes, absolutely. Okay, guys. 
Will Sr. says, awesome as always. Yes, you guys are awesome. Well, God is awesome, number one, right? So <laughs> God is awesome. And you guys, I appreciate your fellowship and your questions and your comments. And I regret that I couldn't get to all these uh, comments. Uh, just actually, it's just scrolling up my screen. And, and the software that I, that I have here that I use to stream to different platforms, it just cannot, I can't even go back to the earlier comments. Caballero says, um, thank you so much for today's fellowship. Your thoughts about Paul are my thoughts as well. Good night and see you tomorrow. All right. You too as well, uh, Caballero. Blessings. And Psalm 94 says, blessings to you. Shalom. Shalom. Multiply back to you as well. May God be with you. And the Tower Time says, stay blessed, y'all. You too, brother. I appreciate you. Awesome. All right. So, Tomorrow, uh, for those of you who are new, you might be listening to this. If you're new, we go live by the grace of God every single day uh, from Sunday through Friday. So six days a week from Sunday through Friday, we go live 7 p.m. Eastern time. That's New York time, Eastern time, 7 p.m. every single night. So what we've been doing is Sunday through Thursday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, five days a week, we are just plugging away at the scriptures. We are reading the scriptures. We are getting into some uh, uh, deep um, Bible study and fellowship, asking questions about it, comparing different manuscripts even, all kinds of uh, interesting things. Um, so that's what, what we've been doing from Sunday through Thursday, five days. Friday, we usually have a, a special day of, uh, usually it's guests on, sometimes it's just a special day of, uh, you know, a special Arab Shabbat kind of thing. And every Saturday, every Shabbat, every Sabbath, we have, we're on here at 2 p.m. Eastern. <laughs> Tammy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. Uh, yeah, Tammy, when you got roosters talking to each other, that's awesome. Um, Tammy says, what a great Sabbath. Uh, wow, great group. Thank you very much, Tammy. I appreciate you. And uh, I'm not sure if you have the group with you or not, but I uh, appreciate all you guys. Um, well, Senior, have you heard about the Bacon Man? No, I haven't heard about... Oh, I haven't heard about the Bacon Man. Oh, now I know what you're talking about. Um, things are going to be... Uh, maybe in the, in the next few days, Lord willing, we'll have, uh, we'll have a, a, a date set there. So... Um, Vinny says, um, thank you, Christopher. I finally woke up for this fellowship. It starts at 4 a.m. over here. Wow. Shalom. Wow. Wow. Awesome, Vinny. Good to have you, as always. Jay Skywalker gives a thumbs up. Thank you. And the Tower Time says, don't forget to tap the like button and go to these vids online and comment. It will help our fellowship grow. Thank you very much, the Tower Time. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. All right. As always, I pray you guys are blessed. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you. Lift up his countenance upon you and give you wonderful, wonderful shalom. Amen. Amen. See you tomorrow.